0: Hello? Everyone and welcome to episode 123 of Through the Years, the podcast reviews Ring of Honor, show by show, by from the beginning. Screwed up my own line. Well, no take twos. We're just like Ring of Honor, no take twos. <laughs> my name is Trevor Dane here on the one two three. Joined as always by the man with perfect attendance. He has been on every episode of Through the Years, <laughs> Matt Feuerstein. Matt, some would say, you know, it's weird to celebrate perfect attendance when we're the coast hosts of the show and the show has no set schedule, so like there's no excuse for not to be on the show. I, quite frankly, want credit. Some would say that. To those people, I would say, shut up. Give us some credit."
1: I mean, you know, I've been trying to make shut up our, pa- our catchphrase for like <laughs> the past seven years, so I'm glad you finally agree with me. But yeah, um, we've both been on every episode, and if you don't respect that, then we don't respect you. <laughs>
0: You know, people don't know, like, we do it to be nice to call our guests guests, but technically, all those people were supposed to be with us every episode from the first episode. So, really, a lot of people terrible,
1: terrible attendance on all of them.
0: Yeah. I mean, this was supposed to be like an 11 person podcast every episode, and occasionally it's a three person. It's it's crazy how this has worked out for us
1: really, but, really? Uh, I mean Joe Gagney has the third best attendance on this show and he's only <laughs> been on like maybe like 15% of episodes so yeah you know not not great everybody you know when
0: Joe Gagney is the best of a bad bunch holy shit is that a bad bunch but um
1: yes that, i mm. i would say um <laughs> i would say he is the best of a bad bunch cuz i'd say he's better than us and He's still not good, so how bad does that mean that we are? <laughs> perfect um, attendance, though. We got that. We got that going yeah, for us. Exactly. So just,
0: yeah, exactly. Perfect attendance, and we'll talk in a little bit about a wrestlers that almost did not have perfect attendance on the show. They almost, Matt, were tardy or outright absent from the show, but before we talk about that, as always, we cover the stuff in between shows. This isn't quite necessarily news, but... We've talked about how we're in the middle of what we've dubbed the 2023-2024 uh, through the years dry winter where Matt a few episodes ago said that uh, his recollection, which is always far better of these things than me, mine, of the of this patch of shows. The the winter of 2006, which coincides with the winter of 23-24 for us of uh, Ring of Honor, was like a dry run of shows, and holy cow, so far Matt has your recollection been on the money, and um, during this period – uh, Pat McNeil of the Pro Wrestling Torch wrote in 2006 an article that I feel like kind of summed up that dry winter from a business perspective. There's not really new information, but I thought this is kind of a good summary of what we're going through and what we've been talking about in recent episodes. So I thought I might as well – you know what? There's not much other news up between this and the other show other than uh, one big story, but we'll uh, get to that in a sec. So I thought I'll just read this. So uh, this is a column by Pat McNeil. He wrote – It doesn't take much to understand how the continued survival of ROH helps the American wrestling scene. But as Ring of Honor approaches its fifth anniversary, the company is at a crossroads that will determine its level of success. Last year saw rapid expansion in the ROH universe as the promotion went from 24 shows to 36 shows, a jump of one show per month. This year... Ring of Honor will host 42 wrestling shows, including a double shot in Great Britain and an unprecedented triple shot on WrestleMania weekend. The number of live shows is important because each live show translates into a DVD, and those DVDs are the company's bread and butter. But it might be time to alter Ring of Honor's strategy when it comes to holding live events. From a live attendance standpoint, the month of October was a frustrating one for the promotion. ROH drew lower-than-expected crowds in Cleveland, Dayton, and Detroit – Almost immediately, Booker gave Sapolsky a leaked word that Ring of Honor would not be returning to Cleveland in the near future. The next show in Dayton is set for February 23rd, four and a half months later, and the company will not return to the Michigan State Fairgrounds in Detroit until it's double shot on WrestleMania weekend at the end of March 2007. The October 28th show in Chicago Ridge, which we're covering tonight, on the other hand, drew very well. In fact, the show drew strongly enough that Ring of Honor announced its return to the Chicago area in six weeks for a double shot weekend on December 8th and ninth, without announcing talent or matches for the shows. Chicago Ridge is the strongest city Ring of Honor runs in the Midwest, but Gabe Sapolsky and Cary Selkin probably wouldn't have felt compelled to do a double shot if they could count on the Motor City to deliver a solid turnout. Many of you might be wondering the importance of live attendance for a promotion whose primary source of revenue is DVD sales. It matters. A hot crowd can enhance the home viewing experience for a wrestling fan, but there's more to it than that. If an audience is large and enthusiastic, that fires up the wrestlers in the ring and gives them someone to play off of. A great crowd response makes average matches seem better and good matches seem great. Plus, no matter how sharp the wrestling is, a cold crowd is indicative of a cold product, which isn't the impression Ring of Honor wants to leave on its regular customers. Why was turnout down for the October Midwest swing? Well, no two wrestling towns are alike. After a strong opening performance in Cleveland in October 2005, the Armory never quite caught fire, despite hosting major matches like Brian Danielson versus Nigel McGinnis, Danielson versus AJ Styles, and Christian Cage versus Christopher Daniels. Also, this particular Cleveland event hosted the Survival of the Fittest tournament, the same tournament that didn't draw in Boston last year, causing Ray Honor to take a hiatus from New England shows. Dayton Detroit were both headlined by tag team matches where former mortal enemies, Samoa Joe and Homicide, joined forces. The Detroit show on October 7th may have suffered from unfortunate timing as the Detroit Tigers baseball team was in the midst of a surprising playoff run that weekend. There could also be other factors. The previous Detroit event featured pro wrestling Noah star Kenta. The October 7th show starred the regular Ring of Honor roster. Also, Detroit fans had a choice in October as TNA presented its Bound for Glory pay-per-view from the Detroit suburb of Plymouth featuring a number of present and former Ring of Honor wrestlers. The Dayton event didn't face dramatic opposition, but Homicide and Joe's main event against Adam Pearce and Steve Carino clearly didn't resonate with fans the way some previous big-ticket main events did. So where are the solutions for Sapolsky and company going forward? Well, the best move for Ring of Honor would be to space out their schedule to keep any one of market from receiving a glut of live events. The main markets of Manhattan, Long Island, New Jersey, Philadelphia, Chicago, and Connecticut get four shows per year. That's enough of a balance to have fans each market anticipating the next event. Figure that the promotion will also run four shows in Great Britain in, during 2007, a pair of double shots about six months apart, then add two shows a year for the secondary markets of Cleveland, Detroit, St. Paul, Massachusetts, and Dayton, maybe with maybe a stop at e- each in former markets of Buffalo and Milwaukee, that's 40 shows right there. Naturally, this isn't as simple as it's laid out here. Ray of R will have to balance out its dates against the new rush of TNA house shows, other major independent events, and Gabe Gabe Sapolsky's involvement with Fall Impact Pro. But this would go a very long way to making every event seem special for the ROH faithful, and their enthusiasm can carry on to the video releases. And that's good, because a strong ROH is an excellent hedge against the excesses of WWE and TNA. So, man, I thought that was a good summary, and I also thought – it kind of made me think of a couple things. Like we've been talking like, oh, we're kind of in a down for Ring of Honor, and it kind of made – this kind of article kind of did frame it to me of, oh, maybe why some of these cards are lacking is because we're finally starting to see the effects of expanding so much and having to run so many more events where some events you just don't have – you know, you, you you can only book – there are only so many great, like, DVD-selling matches that are available to you. And likewise, we've been complaining about a lot of the crowds seem to be quieter lately, and maybe that is, again, just – we're getting smaller crowds. We're getting – you know, there's less people to make noise. Well, I mean, do you have any thoughts about all this?
1: It sort of um, reminds me of some of the conversation that's been related to AEW in uh, – 2023 into 2024, when it comes to live attendance, even all the way down to we're booking like uh, we're overbooking Chicago because that's a hot market for us. You know, even down to that, um, I think that is part of it. But I think more than that, I think that the you know the overexposure or the the glut of shows is probably led to a bit of booking burnout which I think is even a bigger issue leading to some of the problems and the colder crowds and the weird vibes. I mean, it's still hard for me as I watch this stuff not to pin some of the lack of energy on the fact that the main angle isn't landing, which is the homicide Jim Cornette stuff. I think that – you know, I'm – I know know, know, we have all stuff we could say about Cornette as a a person and, and everything he's done in recent years on his podcast, but I still think he's one of the great talkers, one of the great performers. I just think that he has been a drag on these shows. I think that his character just doesn't fit. I think that this sort of stuff is just not what people wanted to watch Ring of Honor for. It changes the mood and the tone and the vibe of the show completely. I think that... A heel commissioner in Ring of Honor is just a buzzkill when people are watching ROH for something totally different than that. Um, Because, again, WWE was still doing this stuff a lot. I mean, really, WWE was doing the heel authority figure thing up until just a few years ago, right? Like, they they really only stopped doing that, what, in the 2020s? Um, Maybe a little bit before that? So that was so overexposed. And to go to ROH and see that being done, I think it killed a lot of everything else. So I don't I don't think it's just the fact that there's an excess of shows. I I think that doesn't help. Um but I think that the crowds are kind of eh, because they're they're just not the things that generated excitement in ROH were not the things that were being emphasized at this point. I also think that there's a sense of we're killing time until we get to Homicide versus, uh Danielson and Homicide winning the title. And I'll, I'll talk more about that when we get to the main event of, of this show that we're about to review. But it's interesting because I always think of this period. Because people always talk about uh, 2006 ROH as the peak. They put it on this huge pedestal. And I'm like man, there's a whole quarter of that year that kind of sucks. And, you know, even like compared to you know other recent years, even compared to years that I think are less revered, like 2007, for example. And I think when we get into 2007, we're going to see that they actually figure out how to do these, you know, um, this excess of shows a little better. And they course correct a little bit, even though I guess people don't, don't remember it as fondly. I, um, I think this is this period that we're reviewing right now. Probably all the way to, up till December is one of the worst periods for ROH. Definitely during the Sapolsky era, um, possibly ever. I, I guess you know there's there's eras in ROH that I didn't really watch so much, so I shouldn't compare it to every single era. But definitely in the eras that I've watched closely, I think that this run is one of the most boring and uninteresting that they ever did.
0: That that was an incredibly thoughtful and insightful answer. And my main takeaway from listening to that great answer was realizing you said the term in recent years. And I just thought that'd be a good spinoff show to through the years in recent years. Yeah. We cover the new stuff. So, but no, no, I agree. And you know what you were de- again, your recollection of all these memory, all these things is way better than mine. So the fact that so far you've been dead on about this being a dry down period for Ring of Honor. I, that it gives me more confidence that your all your equal recollection that 2007 is actually a little bit underrated. Is, I, will, I, would actually, I would actually I would actually
1: say a lot underrated. Well, um, then I, I that
0: Matt. Here's the great thing about having a really bad memory. It's all new to me. So now I'm getting excited <laughs> again. Like you're telling me about a movie I haven't even seen before, even though I have seen all this before. Yeah. So I I am I am glad to hear it. I am glad that Matt, you, your predictions continue to come true, but.
1: It all um, tur- it all turns around when Kevin Steen shows up, <laughs> uh, funnily enough.
0: As so many things in life do. But yes. um Matt, there there was someone else that could have possibly used your Nostradamus like ability to well, I guess it's not really Nostradamus.
1: Yeah, I you mean to remember the- to, to predict the past. <laughs> so to,
0: to predict things that you've already seen to people with bad memories who have also seen the same thing. So, OK, look, maybe Colt Cabana could have just used a a, a uh, very awake driver because uh, we'll go to the Pro Wrestling Torch. This was the one big development. Usually we don't have news that have between shows on a double shot because there's literally only 24 hours have past, But this is actually a fairly notable story. So I'll go to the torch for this. ROH wrestler Colt Cabana was involved in a car accident on Friday night after ROH's event in Dayton, Ohio. He was driving with Dave Prezek and Adam Pierce when he lost control of his car in the rain. Everyone in the car was wearing a seatbelt, which helped prevent serious injuries to all parties involved. Pierce and Cabana were both able to compete in their matches on Saturday in Chicago, Rio, G- Illinois. Cabana wrote the following regarding the accident on his MySpace blog, and boy… You know, we're, we're talking about old wrestling with my space block, but quote, Cabana wrote, I was driving back to Chicago with Adam Pearce and Dave Prezak after the ROH Dayton show. It had been raining all weekend. We hit a wet patch and all I can say is the car started hydroplaning. I was driving my car. I tried to turn the wheel back, but by this time it had gone out of control. The car did a bunch of rotation sideways, no flipping. We crashed into the median four or five times. Luckily, no cars hit us. As, Uh, no cars hit us from behind or were involved in an accident the car was wrecked and we were taken to the hospital adam dave and i were all treated for back and neck pains we all came to chicago the next day in a rental through my insurance we all hurt but we're all in the business we love the most and not a car accident or anything would stop me from wrestling for roh in chicago last i talked to the other guys they were seeking medical treatment from their personal doctors so i can't speak much for them for me I'm sore, but I have my life, which is most important. There's been a lot of deep thinking since that, that happened. At the end of the day, I'm a pro wrestler. I do and I've done what I love. Each day forward is another day to do something special. I'll see you at the matches. Keep supporting pro wrestling. Cabana well, also oh, wait, just oh, wait, oh, re- oh, all,
1: all I can say for cult yeah. in that situation is thank goodness Colt Cabana and his friends are not litigious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, ref- I'm referencing something that I will not expand on. <laughs>
0: Also, um, Cabana also joked in his original post that he had to have his left pinky toe amputated but has since said that was an unauthorized embellishment by the friend who was transcribing for him. And so <laughs> people people don't remember this. This caused like for a very brief like ado online where people were like, oh, shit, because I guess the original Mindspace blog was like I wasn't wearing shoes. I lost my pinky toe. It was amputated and people were freaking out. And in fact, we'll go to a rare source for us, the Figure Four weekly newsletter. Brian Alvarez wrote… He... Colt said he called his wacky buddy Kip and told him to do a MySpace post for him talking about the car accident which really did happen and they threw in the line about the toe. Of course, this hit nearly every internet website immediately and he was subsequently deluged with emails so later that night he apologized to everyone. Cabana wrote, quote, I was pissed off when everyone kept asking me about my toe he wrote, but now that I'm at my parents house writing this, I kind of laugh about it. Everything in the last blog was completely the facts. It was a very scary moment in my my life, And I have constant thoughts about not only my life, but being responsible for the lives of others. It, it's completely changed my outlook on life and everyday things that I can do that I might take for granted. It's like, it's like, it's like
1: a shoot version of that homicide promo where he talks about how he now is, feels his mortality because of homicide pouring the Drano down his throat.
0: Exactly. That's what I was thinking too. It's like the Drano storyline he did like just like less than a year earlier, but for real where he has like yeah. a brush for death that changes how he thinks about things. Wow. And life, so he life
1: imita- Art imitates life. It's, it's yeah, really, is, it's really this, profound when you think about it, isn't it?
0: Okay. And uh, the last thing he wrote was, buckle up, kids, and don't believe everything you read on the internet. And the last thing I'll add to this, Matt, is when I was doing research for the show, I always going through the Wayback Machines and looking through all that stuff. Um, the PW Torch wrote an article, and it was like a one-line article, but it was just surreal to see. This was the headline that you could click on, and it was just – this was the entire headline, ROH News, colon – cabana's toe not amputated it was just like that was the news cycle for this day was like the day where we thought Colcaban had lost a toe and then we're all informed he had not lost
1: if a toe. someone but, wanted to report that news about any of us um they could do that i I, I, <laughs> I don't want to assume anything but i'm pretty sure your toe has not been amputated
0: every day knock on wood <laughs> my toe has not been amputated but um that brings us to a show that maybe is only slightly more pleasurable than having a Toby amputated. That would be Irresistible Forces, which Yeesh, took place
1: October. Dame.
0: <laughs> Irresistible Forces took place October twenty eighth, two thousand six, at the Frontier Fieldhouse in Chicago, Ridge, Illinois, from a report crowd of just under a thousand fans, according to the Wrestling Observer. My first criticism of the show, Matt. How you know at this point, Rayvar was only running double shots—a Friday show and then a Saturday show. This is a Saturday show. How do you not run a sh- irresistible forces as the Friday show and then call your Saturday show immovable object? And people might say, Trevor, that's an awful name for a wrestling show. My response would be: first, shut up, but two, it's better than suffocation.
1: So, like uh, like, like I said, shut up is finally our catchphrase, and <laughs> yeah, suffocation was the name of the other one. So, so I. Uh, as I said, Suffocation is the equivalent of naming a, a wrestling show Drowning, so I still think that a movable Object would be better.
0: And uh, we also now have some pre-show matches that we did not see on the DVD. That, in fact, CageMatch did not even have, which is, you know, as as invaluable a resource as CageMatch is, and I use it for things, including this podcast. You know, he goes to show there's always stuff you miss because this is from Chris Vetter at who was live and wrote into the PW Torch, and there was three pre-show matches. So he wrote. First match was Rhett Titus defeating Mitch Franklin in 448. He just wrote solid. Uh, second match was CJ Otis and Bobby Dempsey, who defeated Alex Payne and Ernie Osiris in 3, three minutes 55 seconds. He wrote the fans popped with a huge Sugarfoot chant for Payne. Basic. And then your final pre show match was Angel Armani defeats Pele Primo in 433. Armani got a, pin, a roll up with his feet on the rope for the pin. So. You know, your basic pre-show, but we document everything we can uh, through the years just in case one day some crazy EMP wipes out all footage, but you can still listen to podcasts and you're desperate to know every single thing that happened on these shows. We try. So we open the show proper with Jim Cornette and Steve Carino backstage. Jim tells Carino that he loved what Steve did to homicide last night so much as in suffocating homicide with a plastic bag that it almost healed Jim and it took the germs out of his injured throat. Cornett says homicide ought to be able to hold his breath for a long time because he swam here from Puerto Rico, that illegal immigrant. Um, so
1: so, so does – do so do we think that Jim Cornett knows that Puerto Ricans are American citizens and he's just doing that to be like extra heelish or do we think he actually didn't know? I mean I feel like he's worked Puerto Rico enough that he must have known, right?
0: Uh, who knows, <laughs> who knows, but, uh, clearly this is Jim, Lin. you know, again, we've seen that the LAX storyline from TNA was starting to bleed into how he handled homicide here along with their own storyline here. A lot more of this race baiting stuff was starting to come in. I was going to say along the edges, but this isn't really on the edges. This is right in the middle of the page. But, um,
1: especially when uh, you, especially when you call someone who is American, uh, an illegal immigrant because of their race,
0: you know? Yeah. So, um, Jim says there's another guy that's been bugging him lately though, and that's that goof delirious. He asked Steve Carino to take him out for him tonight because it would make Jim feel a lot better, and then he could make Steve feel a lot better if he knows what he means. Now, I'm going to say this. At this point, Jim starts making the peeling-off dollar bills from a stack with your hands gesture, but in Ring of Honor, as always, so many of these backstage segments they're in so close that it clips a lot of Jim's hands, and I swear to God, I'm I'm not proud of this. The first time I watched this for the podcast, I had to rewind because I initially went him saying i could make you feel a whole lot better and i start just seeing half his hands i thought is he motioning that he wants to give steve Crino a hand job i was like what the fuck is he doing are we, po- and then, are we
1: positive that that's not what he was doing
0: <laughs> i mean he did say he could make steve feel a whole lot better and you know yeah. that's the the, 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 the the two ways in life you could make someone a whole lot better you can masturbate them or give them money Man, the, you know that, the would only make, two.
1: That, that would make him a lot more likable than this promo to me
0: <laughs> um Carino says it will be a pleasure to take out that retard delirious. That's his words. Um, Carino says he had an orgasmic feeling when he wrapped the background. I, I feel like added.
1: pleasurable or orga- orga- orgasmic feeling. I feel like you're just adding more fuel to this possibility that Cornette was going – was offering to uh, <laughs> jerk him off. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, uh, yeah, anyway, Creole says he had an orgasmic feeling when he wrapped the beggar in Homicide face, and next time he'll finish the job. So, yeah, a lot okay, of jokes okay, being threatened to be finished here.
1: Oh, my goodness. Um, I didn't yeah. pick up on any of that, but now that you say it and you lay it out like that, it's like, oh, gosh, there was a quite a subtext to this one. Um, yeah, the- I, I, I got to say, though, just seriously, though, like, I really don't like this version of Steve Carino, this, like, cackling over the top heel version of Steve Carino. Like, I, I almost missed the days where he was trying to be snarky and every one of his promos had, like, some sort of, like, vague insider reference. Uh, yeah. I, I think I like that version better than this, like, ha ha ha, ha I'm evil and racist. Like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I, I enjoy that as much.
0: Yeah, he loses some of the charm, you know, when, when he yeah. goes away from the reading a long list, kind of smirky, winking to you, Steve Creno, to just the – yeah, I'm going to tone that down because I'm getting the real heat except it's kind of just very blunt and not very imaginative and just like yeah. I'm just going to call you like – I'm just going to be racist and awful.
1: Yeah, um, racist and homophobic and sexist. Like that's – he dials that up. He dials back the snark. Um. And I think uh, – yeah, I think he's he's better and more interesting with the snark and, we and, then not, cut, and not with the racism and the sexism.
0: Uh, definitely agree. Um, we then cut to Brent Albright backstage. He's wearing a shirt that says get out or tap out. Brent Albright. The, and were, were people I just, already I really...
1: buying Brent Albright ROH shirts like this quickly where they're like, <laughs> yeah, a boring match with Christopher Daniels and a squash. I need to get this guy's shirt. <laughs>
0: Nah. I just want to know how many of those shirts he sold like nothing against Brent Albright but how many people were like I want a shirt that says get out or t-. you know honestly that shirt these days would be a better sale because it would be like the kind of shirt you buy it's like I want like a vaguely MMA t-shirt I can just mark out the Brent Albright name with a black marker <laughs> this is cheaper than a UFC shirt that was like when I was a kid Um, I'm not proud of this um, my mom bought me like a uh, like gym pants, little kid gym pants were like exercise and running around the house, sweatpants. And they had like a girl doing the s- splits on them, but they were like blue. But I was like, mom, this is a girl thing that I made her like draw like a black permanent marker over the girl, <laughs> just because I was that much of a, of, of an average, like six year old little snotty boy. So I'm just saying Brent Albright could have probably more sold more shirts today to the six year old Trevor dames of the world. Who'd be like, She's gonna wipe out the Brent Albright part. Yeah,
1: well, you don't want your pants to have cooties.
0: <laughs> exact, exact, Matt. That was yep. a huge concern. Yep. Um, Brent says uh, ROH is where the uh, the best of the best are, and he's a little bit pissed off after losing to Christopher Daniels. Tonight's gonna be a whole lot different. Tonight, losing is not an option. Tonight, everyone is gonna see what their choices are. You either get out or you tap out. So he's emphasizing the shirt. The what a salesman. Um, and that brings us to the opening match of the DVD. Adam Pierce and Shane Hagadorn defeated Irish Airborne of Dave and Jake Christ in eight minutes, 40 seconds when Pierce pinned Chris, Dave Christ, <laughs> they're both Christs, after Hagadorn hit him with a loaded fist and then and then uh uh Pierce Pyle drove him. So, Matt, what do you think about this?
1: I mean, it was basic. Like, this would have been a fine uh, WWE house show opener, you know, like it's just uh Irish Airborne are sort of uh, nondescript baby faces. They they do get a you know a couple of spots. They do a classic baby face start. They backdrop the heels to the floor. They do a pair of simultaneous Asai moon salts. Uh, there's one cool spot where the they get a big reaction where um Dave monkey flips Jake into Adam Pierce and and Jake turns it right into Arana. You know that was that was cool. So they get to do some fun stuff in their shine, but it's mostly pearson hagedorn healing it up you know attacking dave on the apron while working over jake um you know the the cocky covers the uh the you know counting along with the ref um they do a spot where jake tags dave but the ref doesn't see it so he pushes him back to the apron you know the old stuff the heel offense you know they're not it's not so exciting they do a lot of the heel moves like eye pokes and they actually do the demolition decapitation elbow at one point um um but you know but it's not great dave's house of fire when he does the hot tag is not exactly hot um he does 10 corner punches but doesn't do a lot more than that the spot near the end pierce pulls down the top rope uh, which sends jake to the floor while the ref's distracted shane hits dave with the brass knuckles and pierce hits the jumping pile driver to pin dave Like I said, like, WWF house show opener, there's just not that much to it. Everyone played their roles roles well. I think the thing that takes it down for me is I just feel like the overall angle they're representing leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Um, But I can't say anyone performed badly here.
0: Yeah, on paper I felt like these teams are they're, they're a pretty big style clash, but they actually worked a very sound traditional old school structure that played into that, you know, cuz Irish Airborne are the flippy do high flying team. They get to do a fun few fun spots at the very start. They get to do the big double dive to the floor, and then the old school heels tick over the match, they ground them, they do very basic offense, they isolate Jake Christ to make you want to see that hot tag, you don't want to see the exciting flippy-doos. And then when we eventually get the hot tag, but the criticism I'd give is kind of going to what you said. The heel segment is a big chunk of this match, and Irish Airborne really don't get to do a ton after the hot tag, like you said. Like the, There isn't really like a big, exciting stretch run. Or really, Irish Airborne don't get to do a lot in the totality of this match. Like They get a few fun spots, like the monkey flip and the dive, but really, it's mostly the heels running roughshod here. I still reasonably enjoyed this, and it slightly overachieved my expectations, which granted were... I don't really feel like watching this. So it's, yeah. it doesn't take much to overachieve those uh, expectations. Um, and, and this, and this uh, basic kill offense, I actually, they did surprise you. They did a few fun things. Like you mentioned the demolition decapitation. I also liked, you know, Hagedorn and Pierce doing a double fist drop. I'm, I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. I like that. But yeah, if you If you
1: ever in a tag team match, you would do a double fist drop.
0: Definitely. I might just do a double fist drop. Out of the context of a wrestling match, you know, you never know when you might have a reason
1: to. Well, but you need, um, you need to have someone to do it with you, though.
0: Yeah, that's the pro- – I mean that's what I write in all my um profiles on dating sites, and mm-hmm. for some reason I get no responses. Um, if so, yeah, if I was a big booster of the Irish Airborne, I'd be like a little let down by the fact that they lost to Clarence Henshin and they didn't really have very much offense. But really I continue to see Irish Airborne and Ring of Honor in this era as uh, perfectly fine but also very inessential – Undercard flip boys, also, like they also, were also always...
1: also we're at a point in in ROH where every time they show up, I'm like they're still there, like so. I think <laughs> yeah. That's part of it.
0: Yeah, they're definitely into playing out the string. Like Gabe has kind of given up on them, but he's still going to book them for a few more months. Like cycle of a, career, a ring of wire career that we've seen a bunch of guys have. They, they're always somewhat over in, in in Chicago, like in the Midwest, you know, because it's their local area. Even here, they're already always like somewhat over, but. Yeah, I don't. I guess I don't think that's enough to justify things. I'm not going to cry here and say, "Oh, they were capable of greater things in this era if they got a bigger push." So overall, I would say this is like a strong, average, but still average, perfectly acceptable opener. Um, after the match, Jim Cornette walks out to the ring, and he actually gets a good pop and a big chance. So, despite all the recent heel work, you know he's initially the chicago fans are happy to see him he grabs a mic and he asks the fans where they've been the last few months when he needed them he calls the match just a good we just saw a classic example of good old-fashioned rough tough old-school professional scientific tag team wrestling that's a lot of descriptors jim um he calls pearson hagenhorn superstars and says they prove that the bigger they are the harder they fall but the littler they are the further they fly jim says those two men have those two men being Hagedorn and Pierce have loyalty, loyalty to him unlike Homicide. That gets a big Homicide chant. Jim tells a fan that his wife is planning to get pregnant tonight too bad he can't be there to see it Matt, there are too many jokes I could make right now. I'm just going to let, let that one be. Um, Cornette says the typical ROH wrestling fans don't have loyalty to him either because for the last three months, all he's heard at the shows is homicide, homicide, homicide. That gets another homicide chant. Jim raises de- – defiantly raises Pierce and Hagedorn's arms. He tells them talent will get them a long way, but loyalty to the boss will get them even further. So
1: I, yeah. Uh, I, gro- I groaned when Cornette came out, but I was happy with how short this promo was. It wasn't that bad.
0: You- yeah, and it's also a weird night because we'll we'll get into, I can, I'll tell later, um, Homicide's not the show tonight, and so you kind of have Jim having to further the angle without Homicide being even in the building. So uh, you know, honestly,
1: just- I th- honestly, I think that's actually better because they've just done so much of the same stuff for the two of them for so long. It might actually have been better to have a night where they didn't have to do that.
0: Yeah, I actually agree now that, now that you have me thinking about that. Brings us to the second match on the show, Shingo defeated roderick strong via pinfall in 15 minutes 25 seconds after he hit the blood fall uh so just on from a booking standpoint this is a pretty strong way to start Shingo off on his full-time run in roh because you know he gets to beat jimmy rave and roderick strong two upper mid cutters i would say clean basically i guess you could say the table's cheating but i mean basically he gets to beat the very strongly and definitively on his first weekend um this is another one of those matches where you're starting to see more and more of in Ring of Water around this time, which is good medium-tempo action from bell-to-bell, bell, not much else, no personality, no story, nothing to really hang your hat on. Um Why do I even say – who has a hat rack these days? Anyway, um, watching this match though, I I would say you can see – like you can see watching this match, Shingo has charisma. You see little peaks of it, but it's not really integrated into his work, which I've said occasionally as a criticism for other wrestlers where it's one of those things where it's like he'll do a minute of wrestling and then he'll pause to acknowledge the crowd. Like I'll flip them off or like a flip-off arm gesture or I'll pose and then it's time for another minute of wrestling. Like it feels like a box he has to check rather than when you watch him today or any wrestler that's really comfortable and charismatic today. He did break out the great running clothesline off the apron to the floor that he did the night before against Jimmy Ray. So appreciate that right there. It's not that this match is bad, I would say. I would say um I would say that if you were watching Shingle and Roderick Strong today and you heard that they were gonna go wrestle for 15 minutes, you'd expect significantly more than this. Uh, it's only like in the final two minutes of this match where they really turn up and the crowd really fully buys into it but i will i will finish by saying there is a great table spot in the end and that's a big compliment for me because i'm big team table spots are overrated i've talked about that a lot the, the tables are in wrestling are flimsy thin boards except i guess on the recent ring of honor show where homicide could not go through a table no matter how many times the briscoe tried to put them through but generally tables flimsy thin boards don't seem violent at all it's not that exciting to see and I, it's annoying because fans generally chant for them in matches where you're already seeing way more violent and exciting things than a particle board breaking. But in this match, right at the end, it's, it's Shingo and Roddy are, are like brawling on the ring apron. And Shingo basically DDT, DDTs Roddy off the apron through the table. But what he does is he like he picks Roddy up by the hip for the DDT and Shingo never leaves the apron. He just kind of drops Roddy. In the DDT position, off the apron, through the table at ringside. And it's like one of the better table spots I've seen in a while. Because first of all, the the way it's performed in shot, it's not – Telegraphed, you don't really see the table in frame. And uh, it, at least with me, I kind of forgot that they had set up a table. So I didn't see it coming. And second, the table makes this fantastic, like really loud cracking sound. Roddy drops headfirst into it like a stone. And it's the rare table spot that actually felt really brutal and violent and worthy of ending a match. And to these guys' credit, like they basically end the match on, on it because Shingo just throws Roddy in the ring, hits the one move, the bloodfall, pin, it's over. So overall, I thought that was strong enough to – it gets from kind of like a good action but kind of bland match to me to like a low good to me just because I I honestly raised the match one level because of that table spot.
1: Yeah. Particle board, particle board. Um, (laughs) So… Yeah, I I agree with you about that table spot. I I loved how out of nowhere it seemed. Um, The one negative thing I I think about that table spot is I think the storyline is weird of everyone being like, I can't believe Shingo cheated by using that table. And it's like it's 2006 ROH, which just like now, if someone just randomly throws – drops someone through a table that was already set up, like that's really barely even cheating. In, in wrestling in the in in the 21st century you know what i mean like mm. it feels so disingenuous to act like somebody did something dastardly by dropping someone through a table it doesn't that like that just doesn't track with me um so i i didn't really like that framing of that but it was a really cool spot i agree with you that the match was ha- was solid but like half a step slower than you'd want and pretty much the entire time and that it didn't really have a great intra match story other than the two guys hitting each other hard. Um but yeah, great finish. Um which added a lot of intensity and kind of got Shingo off to a better start than the the rest of the weekend did. So I still think this ended up being a net positive for for Shingo.
0: And uh the observer wrote uh covering this double shot weekend, we'll have a few thoughts from them and this was one and this kind of Conferred what I was saying the other day, which was my recollection on the last show, was when Shingle came into Ring of Honor for this stint, That at least initially, I don't know how it ended, but at least initially, I I knew some people were, like, let down by it, and uh, this is Dave Meltzer kind of starting that off, because Dave wrote in The Observer about this weekend, Shingle from Dragon Gate beat Jimmy Raven, Roderick Strong, respectively, he looked okay, but not as good as expected, so... This is the kind of stuff I remembered, like people were starting to already be like, eh, this isn't what we thought where and again, I thought his matches this weekend were perfectly fine. Like if you look at the rest of the card, it's like that's I, I'm going to tip it. I think that's one of the better matches on the undercard. But um yeah, some people just, you know, we, we talked about more on the last show. But anyway, um we go to the delirious backstage. He's wearing a hoodie, which for some reason it's funny, like the idea of Delirious wearing like human clothes because he, he's such like a crazy – kid. the idea of Delirious in like a normal setting with normal clothes is always just funny to me. He cuts a promo in Delirious Ease including saying corny a lot as well as king of old school yeah, Steve Carino. And- but, uh,
1: but I'll say it's barely Delirious Ease. This is like one of the most comprehensible promos he's ever cut. I would say I understood almost every single word he said.
0: He even says Jack victory. (laughs) He also mentions Brian Danielson and his heavyweight title. And he sings, let's start it again. And he sticks out his tongue and his tongue has this really thick and disgusting coat of white film on like i don't know what what like if i saw that on a friend i would say go see a doctor like it was it's like a really thick white film
1: on his tongue maybe he um, like maybe like had some sort of like pill like maybe it was like a a white colored tums or something that he had right beforehand or something like that um
0: it, it, for people that are going to watch the show which god bless you um if you listen closely at the very end of the promo, I think you can hear someone faintly laughing in the background So, at the promo. So a little Easter egg for you to uh, eagle-eared listeners to uh, look out for. But that brings us to the third match on the show. Colt Cabana and Jimmy Jacobs with Lacey in their corner defeat Jimmy Rave and Sal Renaro in 13 minutes, 44 seconds. when Colt pinned Rave after a moonsault. So yeah, this is a... Colt's big match after uh having the legit brush with death and uh I'll give credit to Colt here, Matt. Um, uh, you would not know a man had just had a glimpse into mortality watching this match. This seemed like a, a regular night at the office for Colt Cabana.
1: Yes, but now that you mention it, it like I will say this match was more basic than almost anything you'd ever see from these guys in ROH. Um, like I would say. They barely got into second gear in this match. Like you know, we're talking about a lot of these matches don't get out of second gear. I don't know if this match ever like got that deep into it. they, they start out, you know, with the usual cult stuff. He's doing the, the the hacksaw Jim Duggan thing. Um, Jacobs is goofing around with him at the beginning. You know, he's playing with Colt's headband and he's doing a little Cabana strut. You know, they're they're playing up that they're they're buddies now, and they do a lot of their shtick, and then you know they they when, once they start locking up um they uh they you know rave runs away from cabana uh he or ta- uh, you know renaro gets a uh or and he gets a raves a pussy chant it's kind of weird at this point to have Lacey be a complete like manager of a baby face team here but it's just setting up the angle at the end um even cabana he does stick for a little while but even that's a little bit muted there's one point where he tickles sal's butt to get a, out of a headlock which i guess is a cute spot but then you know they just they do some basic moves they uh the, the embassy gets some heat on jacobs uh, Cabana does his usual hot tag which doesn't get that hot of a crowd especially considering that it's in Colt's hometown. It's you know you'd think that they'd be more into it. Um they eventually get um Jacobs he makes his way up to the top hits a senton on Rave. Cabana hits a moonsault then they they double cover Rave to get the win. I just thought this match was boring even from the storyline standpoint. Yeah, I, you know I think there the the all the storyline development happens at the very beginning and the very end. There's not a ton during the match. Um, I liked one Cabana and, uh, and Jacob's tag team match. That was the one against the Kings of Wrestling. I thought the other matches were just like, I don't know, dude. It's not what I'm watching Ring of Honor for. I'd like to see some wrestling here. And I think this was a good example of that. It's just, I don't know, do something. I guess with Colt having car accident the night before, they have more of an excuse here than usual. But still a pretty uh, lousy match, in my opinion. Especially considering it was pretty long, too. I
0: probably liked it a tiny bit more than you, but I I agree basically mostly with most of your thoughts. Um, This was a match that was about to be overshadowed by a big angle. And boy, did these four guys wrestle like they knew it was a match about to be overshadowed by a big angle. Like the best way I could describe the way I would describe this would be like, they did everyone here like you you basically said this. You 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 summed it up well that they basically did what they usually did, but it's like the light version of it. This is like when you buy the food you like, but you buy like the low-cal version, and it kind of has it has basically the flavor, but it's just not as good. It's just not as strong. That's what this was the light version of, of what you'd expect from these guys. You know, we get the usual we get a kind of a boring beginning with the usual Jimmy Rave stalling, some basic matte work from Jimmy Jacobs. And then we get a very basic boilerplate Jimmy Jacobs face in peril bit, which we've seen a million times better, like a million times before. And we've seen it done better a million times before. And then we get the hot tag to cult. And like you said, it's like not as good as other cult hot tags, but it's fine. And there's really not much of a like exciting stretch run to the finish. This is another match where once they kind of, you feel like the matches should be picking up, they kind of get to the finish pretty quickly. So you don't really get to live in what should be like the most fun part of the match. I did like them continuing the Jimmy having more fun with Colt story. I did like, as you mentioned him wearing Colt's headband, imitating his strut, them actually showing good teamwork on a couple spots, like Colt dropped toll holding Jimmy into a splash. And, but again, like everything from Colt's comedy to just how much action and intensity and imagination is put into this. It just felt like a bunch, four guys not pressing very hard on the gas pedal. And there's even like a moment where um Jimmy Rave does this thing where Sal Renaro's you know getting dominated and Jimmy Rave gets control for his team by he runs along the apron as the illegal man and then clotheslines like the legal partner on the opposite team and then gets Sal to tag him in and I'm like I haven't seen Sal and Jimmy team that much of Ring of Honor I feel like I've already seen that spot like three or four times like like it, it just that that vibe with the match too just like I've seen all of this before. And 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 better. Um the crowd reacted a bit to Colts comedy, but this was a they were pretty quiet for a lot of this. And like you said, this is Chicago. This is the Colts supposed to be the hometown hero for ROH now, after now that Punk's gone. And so, yeah, overall, just four guys by the numbers, perfectly competent, very average. I, I didn't I think I liked it maybe a little bit more than you, but just very, very average. But again, this is all about the angle afterwards. So let's get to that. After the match jimmy rave slaps cell hard across the face and they leave so their angle will continue later in the night jimmy jacobs then goes to hug Lacey, but she avoids him to hug colt instead colt goes to raise jimmy's arm but said Lacey wants to raise colt's arm Lacey uh um, no, Jimmy Jacobs grabs the mic and tells Lacey that he did what she asked. He got the win just to make her happy. Lacey says, they all the win tonight, all to Colt Cabana, not to Jimmy. Lacey says, after the win tonight, it's the perfect opportunity to do something that's been on her mind for a while now in front of all these people tonight. So, of course, the fans, dirty minds. They have minds like I did watching the Jim Cornette Steve Carino promo earlier. Um, she wants to make her relationship with Cult official and take the next step. She then pulls out a contract, of course, to make Colt an official member of Lacey's Angels. Colt says he's gonna tell this crowd a nice little story. So Colt Cabana, much like his former friend, he, he loves telling stories, Matt. Um, he says, Lacey, you need to know the difference between business and personal. When the camera caught the two of us in a car, that was not business. When the camera caught the two of us in a shower together, that was not business. When you manage me, that's business. When I manage you, well, that's personal. Cost the crowd if everyone understands. Colt tells Lacey that they're just two young coeds with their hormones flaring. Yeah, they get it on. They do a little hunk chunka, a little horizontal mumble mumbo. I bent you over and made you humble, which again, nothing dates something like when, when – when back to the Halcyon days of 2006 where we were all saying that for a couple months. There, there, um,
1: there's plenty of dated things in this promo that we'll talk about. But I just got to say, when Colt Cabana is talking about this, Colt's got to like the least sexual person on earth when he talks about sex. <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> they did the old Iron Mike Ditka, which that, – that gets a big pop in Chicago. He goes, in the last couple of months, I've gotten to know you personally, Lacey. I've gotten to know the real Lacey, and what these people here don't know is that Lacey is a huge bitch. She get treats Jimmy like crap all she does is Yell and Scream, and we are all so annoyed, and that gets What's, a wait, wait, big wait, pop. Wait, wait, wait.
1: I mean, for, for, forgetting the, uh, you know, the sexist terminology, which there's a lot of in this segment, is the – is the premise that Culture said that people don't know that about Lacey already? Yeah, <laughs> they don't know the scene.
0: Like, if anything, they, they know don't the know her primary
1: character's like notes. Like, this is your character, Lacey. That's that's what they tell her when she's like, "Who am I?" And they the the the, the fans don't know this already.
0: Yeah, if anything, it's the opposite where Colt's gotten to know, like, the nice side of her because she's, like, the only yeah, person right. in the world of Ring of Honor that she is nice to. Like, yeah. that's the part where are like, oh, deep down, she's actually nice, like, behind the scenes when you go out and get a burger with her. Like, no, it's like, do you know the secret that she's actually really cruel? But <laughs> to, Jimmy, anyway. to
1: Jimmy Jacobs? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. <laughs> But anyway, this that line it does get a huge pop. For, like honestly, the biggest pop of the night so far, probably one of the biggest pops of the whole show when all said and done. I mean, um, I
1: mean, this is the defining characteristic of two thousands wrestling fans, right? <laughs> that their the, their favorite thing is when someone is mean and or violent to a woman.
0: So Colt says, uh, "Thanks for the good times and great memories, but I'm done here. I'm done with you." And infuriated, Lacey tells Jimmy to attack Colt. Jimmy does grab a chair and he charges at Colt. Before he can hit Colt, Colt tells him, "Whoa, like put it down before you do anything you regret." Colt asks Jimmy to see how Lacey talks down to him, how she thinks she's superior to him. He he says, "I'm sorry you have to hear this from me, Jimmy, but you and me are buddies now. We're pals. So you're like the little sister I've never had, in a good way." Colt then tells Jimmy to forget Lacey and her annoying screeches and to get a pizza and a lap dance with him. Colt. T- jimmy he needs to drop lacy That he has the potential to be a star he says i've seen you jimmy since you were 14 years old and the people are ready to get behind you and that actually again that gets a big pop from the crowd colt says if jimmy doesn't come with him he'll continue to be pussy whipped he says drop her stop letting her control your life be a man be the man these people know you can be drop the hoe let's go which of um, course t- gets have- a huge
1: yeah, I have two comments there. Yeah. First of all, talk about outdated terms, pussy whipped. Like that brings me back to, like, to 2006 totally. Um, the other thing is uh, he offered – I think that Jimmy would have gone with him if he offered to get him a pizza and it was in New York. You know what I mean? <laughs> in Chicago? No, nah, nah, I'm not going to wait into that. I'm actually one of the rare New Yorkers who does enjoy Chicago pizza. So I'm not going to uh, – I'm just joking. But I had to get that shot in there.
0: Of course you did. Uh, you know, Matt, you're going to get us so much. Hate. We're going to get upwards of one email about that. Um. So, uh. No, I'd, so anyway, we get the big drop the hoe. Let's go. We drop the hoe chant after he says, drop the hoe. Let's go. Jimmy grabs the mic and he asks Lacey, like, is what Colt said true? Uh, I get, I love the idea that like, Jimmy's like, is is what Colt said true that you're really mean to me? Like, again, think what he's asking. Like, like, like Colt is apparently this is a revelation to Jimmy that, that Lacey's mean to him. But anyway, Anyway, <laughs> L- 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 Lacey screams at Jimmy, wondering, how is this even relevant? Jimmy says, I could write a million songs and make five music videos for each of them. Wouldn't even scratch the surface of how much I love you, Lacey. He goes, I know you don't love me yet, but, is, but what Colt's saying is making a lot of sense to me, and I'm lo- kind of losing my mind here. I just need a sign that you care, that a sign that you respect me. I just want a hug. That's all. I just want a hug. And Lacey at this point grabs the mic and tells Jimmy that he is absolutely disgusts her. He just orders him to take out Colt just like he took out BJ Whitmer. Jimmy picks the chair back up and he doesn't know what to do. The crowd chants for Jimmy to hit the hoe. Uh, Jimmy drops the chair and he breaks down into tears. Colt puts an arm around him. They start to walk away with Colt holding the ropes open for Jimmy to go to step to the apron to leave. And as this has happened, you can hear Lacey just keeps calling Jimmy pathetic. Colt tells Lacey, you're the pathetic one. And as Colt goes to step through the ropes as well. Jimmy crotches Cabana with the rope. He starts to beat down Colt as the crowd boos him. Jimmy apologized to Lacey. He says, you know, you know, I love you. You know, I love you. The crowd chants pussy whipped at him. And then he screams back at the fence, It's fucking love. <laughs> Which <laughs> I just liked how out, I, I did like the outrage from here, from him from there. And he goes, And anyway. Lacey gives Jimmy one of her high heel he, high heels, and Jimmy hits Colt in the head with it. And then Lacey tells Jimmy to kill Colt. Colt's now busted. He, he cuts a very good blade job here. Jimmy digs the heel into Colt's head, and then appears to smell it. Which come on, um Lacey throws chairs in the ring. Jimmy concertos Colt's foot with them. He then looks to pilbinize Colt's foot when BJ Whitmer runs in. Lacey tries to stop Whitmer. Whitmer shoves Lacey to the mat. Jimmy and Lacey flee to the outside as the crowd chants for Whitmer. Jimmy and Lacey leave the entire ring side area. They go to the back. EJ helps Colt, who was bleeding pretty badly, saying, you know, I can't see, I can't see. Blood's in his eyes. They eventually make their way to the back, and as they do, Colt is furious now. he He's screaming that Jimmy's a pussy-whipped little bitch. Um, I thought this was a very good angle, Matt. You know, outdated stuff, you know, whatever. We can talk about, you know, how every angle of involving ring of, women in Ring of Honor at this time <laughs> turned out the same way. I thought in particular Colt was excellent here. I thought he hit all the notes he needed to and he gave the crowd like that really cathartic moment of someone finally telling Lacey off, making the case for Jimmy to leave. I thought Jimmy was good here too but not as good as Colt but, you know, selling the conflict. And um, as hot as this was though, and it was, I thought, a very hot reaction in particular to the Colt speech, I felt like this is, again, one of those rare storylines where – in Ring of Iron, where if this was a TV promotion, they could have done it. It could have been even hotter because you could have had months of Colt and Jimmy being pals before the breakup, where we've seen with storylines like Sami Zayn and the Bloodline, where I feel like the money in those storylines isn't just the breakup. It's the fans really enjoying guys being pals together. And the the more they're pal, the longer they're pals together, bro, cha- like the bro chachos, the break- you,
1: bro, chachos, you might say.
0: Okay, with one exception maybe, but generally the, hot, the 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 you know, the longer the mega powers are together browin out, the hotter it is when they break up. Trevor, and Trevor, Trevor, was, you know, I,
1: I I don't want to wade into current controversies, but let's not revise history. People were into the brochachos for for a while like that. It, the reason they kept going with that is because it got over at least at the beginning.
0: And even the last pay per view, you know, yeah, yeah. did. Really well, so yeah. I mean, maybe maybe people like me are a little harder on it, but um. I, so yeah, I would just sum it by saying like, Hardy says you could have stretched out the Jimmy friendship part of this a little longer and gone a little more into that, and maybe teased. Uh, but but at the same time, if you were going to shoot this an- Ring of Honor, you know, pace their angles like this differently. They didn't have like the weekly TV to really sell an angle like this, and if you were going to do the split up this angle. I feel like Chicago obviously is the perfect market for it because it's cult's market. So overall, I thought this was one of the better angles Ring of Honor had done in a
1: while. Um, I think that on paper you are right. I think it was very well plotted out. I think that the performers did pretty well. I guess where I would disagree with you is I don't think the reaction was that hot. Like I think to like it was hot to like some of the worst misogynistic lines and. I thought the misogynistic language – and I also thought like the – I thought this dragged a little bit. Like I thought it was just too long, especially for how quiet the crowd was for a lot of it. Uh, I I think it didn't come off as well as it looked on paper. I don't really have any problem with how they laid it all out. I just think that I was I just – I'm still just kind of weirded out by the – all the misogyny like obviously Lacey as a character is vile but you know when you take it to like using all these sexist terms I get that that was just normal in 2006 and there was no way they were gonna do this angle without that stuff but it still makes me feel queasy and I just I think they could have gotten to it a little bit quicker I will say I I, one thing I don't agree with you on is I don't think they should have dragged this out longer I think because of what Ring of Honor is, I don't want to see these guys having these matches forever. That's not what I watch ROH for. Uh, the matches were just too storyline heavy, not exciting enough as wrestling matches, and I'm glad that we're not going to have to watch them anymore.
0: And I, I, I will say they did do like a nice progression of the storyline because we both of us really disliked how this storyline started because we felt like we talked about it a lot how. All three parts of this love triangle were very unlikable, but then they kind of redeemed it somewhat. Even though, even yes, I know with all the misogynistic lines in this promo. But yeah, no, but then, before
1: before that, I agree with you. Yeah, they 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 built to this well, and I think they actually timed the uh, the split kind of perfectly.
0: Yeah, they, they did a good arc of over six shows, progressively showing them starting to get along to actually kind of becoming friends to to the point where Colt's now like, you know what. I'm trying to help you. Like, you need to get this is an abusive relationship. You need to get out of it. And then Jimmy can't help himself. So,
1: well, what, what, um, well, one thing I could have seen them doing is if they were going to keep it going longer, expanding beyond the tag match. I, I, I really, other than that one, I really haven't liked the tag matches. Let them wrestle singles and be in each other's corners and stuff and egg them on, but like actually have them have real matches instead of just every match being like a storyline thing. You know, if they did that, I could maybe tolerate it going on a little bit longer.
0: It's also funny how, when you look at how this played out, this was like the reverse of typical tag team breakups, where they lost a bunch of matches and then broke up on a win, rather than like you lose a lot of matches and then you finally bre- you, you you win a bunch of matches, but then you have a big key loss and then you break up because you're like, oh, we lost the titles. This is like they finally win and that's the night they break up. But, but, I, but, but they, I guess it,
1: but I guess it's clever still how they got to it, you know, because you know then Lacey was like so excited about Colt, yeah. that she wanted to sign a contract and all that stuff.
0: No, they, they actually – yeah, they got to the opposite direction. They got to it in a logical way. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So I thought that, that – actually, in that sense, it, it was like a neat little trick. Um, that brings us to Steve Corrito defeated Delirious via pinfall in nine minutes, 48 seconds after he hit Delirious with Shane Hagedorn's top-of-the-class trophy. Or did Corrito win? We'll get into that incredibly fascinating controversy, Matt, in just a minute. But – um, This was shaping up, I thought, to be a pretty standard middle-of-the-road, mid-tempo undercard match. Stop me if you heard that a lot lately. But this weird thing happened, which I've seen a couple times only in all the time we've been doing through the years, where as they got deeper into the match, I felt like the pace actually got slower and not in the – Oh, they're doing really big moves and selling exhaustion between them, kind of exciting way. But in a uh, Steve Carino has decided to just randomly argue even more with the crowd and ref between each spot kind of way. It's, it, it's it's the rare match where I actually feel like they lost a little bit of momentum in the final stretch run, and um, the action before that it's decent. It, can again, continues that pattern of a lot of Ring of Honor undercard matches. Another different pattern, which is most of these undercard matches we've been seeing on these disappointing shows lately, they don't overachieve. Like, they either hit the middling expectations you had or underachieve a little bit. Like, there aren't a lot of matches lately, and Ring of Honor used to have a lot of these where you're really – like, wow, they put in, like, they went over and above. You know, they gave more effort than you'd expect from a wrestler's on, like, the third spot on a card. Like, oh, man, maybe that's because guys were not, a lot of these guys were having higher priority companies like TNA or Japan at this point. Or maybe it is because they were running so many more shows that guys were pacing themselves out a bit more now and the novelty was a bit lower. But you are seeing more of these matches like this where it's guys just kind of giving you enough. And, um, and then it has that the, the ending, which is a very WWE-style ending where rare for ROH, interference finish, where Shane Hagedorn and Adam Pierce come to the ring. Hagedorn distracts the ref. Pierce enters the ring with Shane's top-of-the-class trophy. He tries to use it. Delirious fights him off creo then able to use it and get the win uh, uh, and we'll get to the post match later where Criino it gets reversed and then reversed again, but I thought again this was another very very standard very very average at best match and one of the one more annoying thing about it to me Matt was like so much of it is Carino doing a lot of crowd work like talking to the crowd a lot, and a lot of it you can't hear what the crowd. Is saying back to him. So like I wrote in my notes, if you want to combine watching a two and a quarter star to two and a half star match with the thrills of being mildly frustrated by only being able to hear one side of a slightly interesting phone conversation, this is the match for you. And I think that kind of sums up my thoughts for this.
1: Yeah, I didn't think this was a particularly good match, but I probably did have a better time watching it than you did. Um, just because my um, my expectations for this were like this was going to be a style clash that I wouldn't enjoy at all, and I enjoyed some of the shtick. You know, I enjoyed Carino kicking at Todd Sinclair and then doing the thing where he puts his thumb in Delirious' ass with the uh, with the, um, the abdominal stretch, and then Sinclair yells, "Get the thumb out of his ass!" And like I just like I enjoyed Sinclair yelling that, and I um... so all things considered. Like I said, not good, but entertaining enough, and I didn't think it was too long to the point where I was like, all right, enough of this shit. So I guess I'll say that I am very slightly higher on this than you because of some amusing spots.
0: Yeah, a couple other notes. Uh, Creel got a welcome back chat. He acts surprised and then points to Bobby Cruz. Like, is this for him? Which I thought that was kind of a cute moment. And Is that
1: because because Bobby Cruz hadn't been going to Chicago as much recently or just – Yeah, I don't even –
0: I don't even know if that's the case. I I, I think Korea was just trying to sell like, oh, it can't possibly be for me. Yeah. Carino did have a good clapback for a heckler in the back of the building because there's some heckler in the back of the building and Carino goes, pay for a good ticket, maybe I'll hear you. And I thought, okay, that's, <laughs> that's kind of a that's kind of a good line. Yeah. And th- th- this was the match where Dave Prezak points out that Homicide isn't at the show and they sell it as it's because of, you know, last night at Suffocation, Homicide, you know, got choked out with the bag by Carino. But where Homicide actually was, he was working uh, Jersey All Pro Wrestling's ninth anniversary show. So he's actually working a different show this night and he was wrestling for the jersey all pro wrestling heavyweight title how about this for a four-way match? it was homicide versus necro butcher teddy Hart, and low key so, i bet
1: i bet you that was better than this match <laughs> yeah
0: absolutely that's a match i would actually i bet you that's an exciting match you know maybe yeah. i could see that being also a complete mess of a match but i bet you it's interesting yeah
1: sometimes messes, um, sometimes messes are fun to watch
0: But I did love there were some indies at this point where they were kind of like, like especially like indies that Rob Feinstein was involved with or stuff. Like there were, and not that Jersey All Pro was, but like there were indies where it was like you look at the roster during this time. It's like two thirds is just like Ring of Honor guys that like played out their string there. It's like you know the SATs and and you know Teddy Hart and low you know guys on the outs and guys like that. It's it's really it's really interesting era of indie wrestling in that sense where you're getting kind of like. Modern in Ring of Honor, and then other companies that are kind of running 2003, 2004 Ring of Honor. It's, yeah. it's, it's interesting.
1: Well, yeah. Well, I mean, speaking of all that, watching some of these dull ROH shows, sometimes I kind of think, like, you know, what this these, this era could have used? Special K doing scramble matches.
0: Yeah, we haven't been seeing a lot of like the wild scrambles for scramble sakes. So we're still getting the multi but not like the big event scrambles. You know, yeah, where it's like, exactly. hey, this is like part of the part of the draw of the show. Bring um, back,
1: bring back Special K decades ago. <laughs> bring back Special K, what, the past.
0: Matt saying the same thing that a lot of uh conscientious diet dieters would say if Kellogg's discontinued a certain cereal. <laughs> bring back Special K. Um, uh, God, I, I should have Special K. I haven't had that since I was like a kid. I remember actually, kind of strangely liking. Yeah, it was
1: like it was almost like flake version of Rice Krispies.
0: And, he, and the ones with the dehydrated strawberries, those, those were pretty good too. Man, Yeah, I want breakfast now. Anyway, um, a- after the match, uh, Todd Sinclair talks to fans as uh, Crino and his friends celebrate. And the fans are telling him that Crino used the trophy to win the match. Todd Sinclair talks to ring announcer Bobby Cruz and has him announce a reversal. The winner of the match is now delirious via disqualification. A ref- And this is one of those things, man, I hate this. Like a ref reversing a decision based on a fan telling him he missed something – i hate that finish because if you do it once it makes no sense if you don't do it every single time and every promotion that does this finish only does this like once in a blue moon when it suits them so i i hate this finish jim the then marches to the ring he get, grabs the mic he gets a shut the fuck up champ before he even starts talking yes todd sinclair if there was a pinfall in this match todd says yes and who pinned who todd says well steve Creel pinned delirious did Todd see how Steve Carino pinned Delirious? Todd says, nope. The, the, the Corner asks him, why did you reverse the decision? And, and Todd's in here goes, well, the fans told me that Carino cheated. And Carino points out a fan in the crowd and then says he's a terrorist. I can only imagine what prompted Carino to say that. I'm going to guess the tone, the color of their skin. Um, yeah, yeah, then they,
1: said, they are definitely – this is like the most racist era of ROH yeah. I think. <laughs>
0: Cornett then says, because these knuckleheads who don't even know how to use toilet paper told him, Todd reversed the decision. Jim asks Todd if he likes his job here. Jim says, I'm going to, uh, Jim at this point reverses Todd's reversal, so a reversal, and he orders him to raise Steve, Car- raise Steve Corneal's hand or he will never ever referee another match at Ring of Honor again. And Todd and his wife and kids will be penniless, which made me laugh the idea that Todd Sinclair was like, <laughs> This was like a full-time career, being a referee for Ring of Honor. He was supporting a family on this. Um, Todd raises Carino's hand, and Jim then announces that Ciccino is the winner. So, yeah, this was... This was one of those angles – this felt like one of those classic angles where this would have been great in a Smoky Mountain Wrestling in 1993. Here, it just seemed hokey and
1: – Yeah, and, 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 and then you throw in the racism and like – yeah. I mean I think the good thing about this angle was it's setting up for the removal of Jim Cornette in this role and the end of this weird ROH era of the heel authority figure and – I like it in that sense. You know, they're 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 setting up that Cornette is getting out of control being too biased. They're going to remove him soon. Um on the other hand, I will say that I guess in this case, based on what you just said about, you know, the the finish and the listening to a fan, he maybe had a point of like it's a bad precedent to just like change your finish based on what a fan tells you. Yeah. Um, So I guess in that sense, he had a point, but yeah, the delivery was just like, oh God, enough of this. No more, no more of this shit in Ring of Honor. This is not what Ring of Honor is for. I I will, uh, you know, yell it from the mountaintops, even though I think they probably knew that and were setting up to get rid of it even at the time. So I guess who am I yelling it to?
0: I, I have to say, um, I, I, uh. I I agree with you. I I you know it's clear if you listen to shows. I, I agree with you about not liking this storyline. But I I I think it's almost adorable that like we've done this show 123 episodes now. The one two three, um, the kid as we call it. This episode, but and through the show, I don't think I've ever heard you get progressively grade on you more in all the years we've covered ring of honor than <laughs> this angle like every episode i can tell and you're such a nice polite guy just hearing it's like slowly just eroding your your your, your patience uh, like an angle needs to really be special to like do that to you it, <laughs> it, it, it's something to hear as i'm not rejoicing in your misery but i i uh i am like captivated by it i will say that. Yeah,
1: i mean it, it does um, it does make me like less excited to watch these shows like uh, as you know we prepare for the podcast a lot of times when we review ring of honor dvds i'm like oh i can't wait to watch this because i remember all this good stuff and it's just like oh these fucking this fucking cornet angle is still going on i have to watch that shit like i yeah i don't i don't like it and again like i wouldn't have minded it as much i mean again like the the cheap like old school racist heat would bother me Anywhere, But as far as the premise of the angle, it wouldn't bother me if it was WWE or even TNA because, like, that's the shit they do. But, I mean, you know what I'm saying, right? Like, people don't watch ROH for that.
0: Well, even even the thing – like, I'm probably a little less against the idea that you could do something like this in Rave Honor. But, like, I don't even think it's done very well. Like it's not very imaginative, or like, like, like it's it's just very. Again, I used this word for a match earlier, but like it's boilerplate. It's 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 very. You've seen this before. There's no real extra wrinkle or curve to it, it and it's it's kind of ill fitting for the company. It's just, and, but like the good news is, I believe if my memory is correct, we only have two more shows of this to yeah, go.
1: Well, we in a week they get rid of Jim Cornette from ROH storylines, and he's not back yeah. until 2009.
0: And you can tell when they did the commentary to these – the post-produced commentary for these shows, they knew what had already happened because this weekend – you you kind of touched on it just a few minutes ago. They are really leaning heavily like during a bunch of the match talking about how like Jim Cornette's losing his mind more. Like he's getting more out of control. Like they are very much set, like telegraphing, oh, something has to be done about this guy because he's going progressively more insane. Um, that brings us to – Christopher Daniels defeating Austin Aries via pinfall in 18 minutes, five seconds after he hit the Angels' wings. Uh, Matt, we had just seen this match, like, very recently before this at Survival of the Fist 2006. Um, I don't remember that match being very notable at all. What do you think about them getting a second shot here with even more time this time?
1: I mean, it was – I mean, I don't know what you'd say. I really didn't like that first match. So I –
0: That may be in the match where you correctly shamed me for like yeah. saying, oh, the, I guess I have to say this is pr- uh, good. And you were like, you just said it was shitty
1: basically yeah. for like
0: three minutes. so And yeah, yeah so uh, this is our old friend is back again.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I mean I definitely thought this was easily better than that one. Um, and I actually thought that Ares was very good and I think he made this a good match overall. Um But the crowd was still quiet, and I still think Daniels was just, like, subdued. I don't know. Like, it was like – I felt like Aries was working for two. You know, Daniels was still, you know, his solid self, but he just didn't bring any energy and excitement. And so the crowd was very quiet for a lot of it. Um, There's – you know, like he – maybe it's part of it was that he got his back cut when he was rammed against the guardrail. You could see he was bleeding pretty good from the back at one point. But – I thought that Aries was, was really trying a lot harder this time, because I thought they were both kind of subdued um, in that first match, and here I thought Aries was working really hard, and Daniels was just like kind of being mid-tier Daniels, or less than that, until the, the end. I do think the crowd sort of got loud near the end um, when uh, when Daniels hit his big palm strike um, on Aries, um, when Aries was on the top rope, and then the Angels' wings uh, that Daniels used to win. I was surprised that Daniels won. I guess that's because he was being set up to win the tag team titles. Um, But I still think Aries is the guy that you probably want to protect here. Maybe it was a TNA thing, although um, Aries was in TNA at this point, right? Was he Austin star at this point?
0: Yeah, I I, I think he was back as Austin star now, I think.
1: Yeah, so I don't know. But I, I thought that he was good, and I thought because of that, the match was pretty good. Um, but I thought I don't know. I'm just constantly disappointed in Daniels during this era, especially in singles matches, and this match was no exception.
0: So I like this a bit less than you. I I, I do agree it was better than their last match, but I would say slightly better, I I guess. I guess. I felt like it had the same problems to me, in my opinion. Like There was a recent Aries versus Claudio match we talked about on the show that I liked where it wasn't some amazing show stealer, but it was just a good mid-card match. And what I liked about it was there was just a few, like a handful of neat little novelties in the match, like little spots you rarely or never have seen. And these Daniels-Aries matches, and really almost every Daniels-ROH singles match in this era, are the exact opposite, where there are zero novelties, there is zero invention, there is zero imagination. Like, you have seen every spot before, you've seen the match before, really it's kind of slow in parts it's got these little bursts of excitement in parts but even the bursts of excitement are just them hitting or teasing their signature moves if you're a fan of either guy you can name 50 matches each for i think each of these guys that they've had better in this single promotion in ring of honor like i'm just i i'm i'm done with christopher daniels in this era of ring of honor i'm at least as a singles guy i'm just done he's I always say this. He's a deserving indie hall of famer, g- great indie wrestler, very important, discovery. I always have to say that because I always f- worry what if someone just drops in for an episode and thinks like I hate Christopher Daniels. I don't. I hate this era of Christopher Daniels in this company. The fact that I, I didn't even
1: I didn't even really like it when it was going on. Like I was polite about it. I think like yeah. I respected him and I still respect him. But you know his matches were always just so dull.
0: Yeah, the fact is, if you watch Christopher Daniels in this era of Ring of Honor, again, sometimes the tags were a bit different, but you, what you were watching is a very polished, talented worker who is just on complete autopilot. Like, he's a singer who is on month 10th of a year-long tour, and he's singing all his hits, and they sound exactly like the sound on the album, but you can tell in his head he's doing his grocery list. Like, it, he's, it's, you're seeing the same thing over and over again with the parts within it changing order slightly each show. That's it. Like, I, I – It's also competently done. I thought it's like above average as a match. But if you've watched every Ring of Honor show before, this is like Christopher Nance is just playing a song you've heard so many times before. And you've heard the song sung with more emotion before. And there are times in this match where you said they, they, the crowd got up for by the end. There were times in this match where there's near silence during the body of this match. And these are two pretty big, very overstars in the company. So, And this
1: is the second match between the two of them in a row that got that kind of reaction.
0: Yeah, and it's just uh, yeah, disapp- just a disappointing match. Um, yeah, but I did
1: I did want to shout out to Ares because I do think that he worked pretty hard, especially compared yeah. to Daniels. Um, and
0: I, and I agree with that too. Um, it's intermission we go to Dave Prezak backstage. He tells us he has tried to get comments from both Brian Danielson and Samoa Joe ahead of their main event match tonight, but mo- both men have chosen to have closed locker rooms. At this point, Shingo comes in, and Prezak asks, asks Shingo, why use table? I love that Dave is like, I'm going to make it easier. I'm not going to say, a. why use table? And Shingo goes, I like table. I like hardcore. You understand? Robert yeah, Shaw wants I, I,
1: I really like when he, when he goes, I like table. It's like, it's like <laughs> you know, it's a good Reason, that's a good reason to use it, I think.
0: And then Robert Strong walks in, and he's pissed that Shingo used table. And horizons uh, says, "They use table. They, we can use tables." And he shoves Shingo, which leads to a pull apart brawl, which knocks over the curtain and reveals that the backstage area is, in fact, just the building's gym area. You see gym equipment, which always makes me that kind of thing. Always makes me giggle a little bit. But yeah, so um I mean, it was a fine. I, I mean, I did like why use table? Yeah, and I, I mean, yes, table. I'm,
1: I'm going to say <laughs> that probably. You, 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 it's probably not polite to talk to somebody who is learning English in broken English. It's probably not the right way to do it. But you know, I, I guess Prezak had good intentions.
0: Like maybe we're preaching to the minorities uh, audience. But you know, I you know most wrestling re- shirts I would not buy. Ever, but if there's any shirts I would buy. I'd probably buy these either, but I would at least consider shirts as we've talked about in the past, one that just said that arm submission or one that just said why use table <laughs> or things like, like that. I, my I, 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 I wouldn't
1: I wouldn't get why I use table, but would, unless it said on the back, I like tables. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I use table. I like tables. It tells a
0: little story when so, when you're walking yeah. by someone, they like yeah. they get a whole story there.
1: Yep.
0: <laughs> why 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 do why why do you these tables? But um that brings us to Brent Albright defeating Trick Davis via submission in 5 minutes, 21 seconds when he made him tap out to the crowbar, which is just like a uh, Fujiwara armbar type submission. Trick Davis, he has been on Rave Honor shows before. He was a more local indie guy. He'd done a bunch of IWA Mid-South. I assume Dave Prezak maybe helped get him the up. and I like Trick Davis, but kind of a skinny guy, and he's going to be made for job D like this. Um... This was certainly better for Brent Albright than his night with Christopher Daniels the night before, but this is also a, that's one, faint praise, and two, this is a completely different kind of match because this is just largely a squash with a few quick bursts of offense for trick. Brent gets to do some, uh, like, night... Nice mat wrestling early. And this is another night like the night before where he's laser focused on his arm on his opponents arm to set up his finisher. And he does pop off a few moves. I like like he absolutely murders trick with a clothesline to the point where they have like an audible conversation immediately afterwards. So I have to wonder, like, how hard a clothesline was that? Like, was that him being like, Jesus Christ, are you okay? I just killed you. Um, he the nice half Nelson suplex, which I thought was like the highlight, he uh, his highlight from the night before, makes a return and it gets a pop again. People really like that move, and I but I thought the coolest move he did the whole match here was he does a uh, like a delayed vertical drop back suplex where he just drops the guy straight down, but he has the guy's arm in a hammerlock position, so he falls right onto his own arm, and I just thought that was a really cool looking move. But anyway, I will just say there's something about Brent. Albright, that's just off to me. Like, even when he does something cool, it just feels like an isolated moment. He doesn't really know, feel like he, it doesn't feel like he knows how to build momentum in a match, at least on this first weekend. There's like just these little gaps of deadness between stuff he does he did show a little bit more mean – more of a mean streak here, which I appreciate. Like at one point he growls out, is this the best ROH has to offer? And I would just say like talking to screen, like, no, uh, Trick doesn't even hardly ever wrestle here. Uh, he's not really kind of a Ring of Honor guy. The crowd then chants, whoop that Trick. Um, Overall, like I would say you can watch this and you can see why – brent albright would be enticing to a promoter right like he has the size he has the great body his basic execution of moves is rock solid but if i was just judging him on this one weekend i would personally be like he's just missing something essential but at the same time this crowd chants, please come back to him after the match so what do i know man May- maybe you disagree you know what do i know man
1: yeah i mean honestly i have no complaints about this like for what it was I-, I think that they both guys did a good job in their role i think that the uh the fans—it's always funny to hear like these how mean fans are. Like uh, as soon as Trick Davis comes out, you hear one asshole fan just very audibly yelling, like, "Who the fuck are you?" Like it's just like why are people so mean? And then um, you know they 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 don't really get the let's go Albright chance going that well. Like people try it, but they do appreciate the mat wrestling at the beginning, and uh, the crowd pops pretty big for a very loud Albright clothesline. Um, I thought you know uh, Davis did his job okay of hitting a a big move every once in a while while Brent beat the shit out of him. There was a funny spot where he's slapping um, he's slapping Trick Davis in the back, and he goes, "Is this the best Ring of Honor has?" And I'm just thinking like, you know, Brent, like probably. A guy who's barely wrestled for Ring of Honor and never won a match is probably not the best Ring of Honor has. So you probably (laughs) didn't even need to ask that question. Um, But um, I like Tricks slice bread number two while springing off the top rope. Got a two count off of that. But yeah, overall, I thought this was a fairly effective squash and Albright looked like a killer. Um, So yeah, I, I mean, honestly, of all the things on the show, I have very few complaints about this one.
0: And so uh, Dave Meltzer and The Observer wrote a bit about Brent Albright and Tank Tone's debuts this weekend. And by the way, Tank Tone did not work rainwater this night. He only did the Friday. Um, Dave wrote – brent albright and tank toland debuted for ring of honor over the weekend albright is bigger than most of the roh guys and looked good enough in winning a squash and losing to christopher daniels that he'll be a regular but no plans to push him higher toland do didn't do as well but will also likely be a regular toland is jacked like crazy gays the policy note that most guys cut by wwe seem to get hired back at some point so he's kind of counting it on happening in both their cases so first of all matt Best did not happen in either case, ironically, here. Neither guy goes back to WWE. And uh, I, I, we talked about this in the last show. I actually think Tank Tone looked better than Brent Albright on, on the last night's show. But I, I don't get the kind of the idea of, oh, Brent Albright looked better against Christopher Daniels. Although, granted, Brent Albright got more of a chance opportunity because he got – instead of being part of a four-way, he got to have a full match with Christopher Daniels. But I didn't think that match was very good. So uh, – um, Matt, are you there? Yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> Not much to say about Brent right? Let's just say that. Yeah. So let's move yeah. on to uh, Matt Seidel defeating Jay Briscoe via pinfall in 14 minutes, 45 seconds with a small package. Uh, yeah, we're in the meaty half of the car. This is kind of a. Stakes match for third from the top, but what do you think about this match?
1: I, I honestly like this a lot. Like I, I I was kinda like very down on this show and I needed someone to pick me up and this match picked me up. I uh I liked it. It was very fast paced. They start the match where they're both kinda like getting on the turnbuckle, milking crowd reactions, and then so when Seidel is doing it, Jay just attacks him from behind, gets things going hot and heavy. Uh, Seidel pulls down the top rope, so Jay flies to the floor, and Seidel very quickly does one of his cool twisting toe pays onto him. And then he even like sips a fan's Pepsi, or at least a, a drink that was in a Pepsi-themed cup. And I think that's actually the bravest thing Seidel did in this match. Is uh, just put his mouth on someone else's straw that was on the floor in a Ring of Honor show. Um, Not something that I would do. Um, They're whipping each other into the guardrails. They're hot and heavy. The one thing I will say is I don't know why they were so mad at each other. I don't think they were like feuding in any kind of way. But they were pretty intense about stuff. Um, Jay, at one point, hits a dropkick, even by his standards, is really good. And, you know, Jay gives good dropkicks, but this was a really good one. They're also making very frequent covers, which I like because, to me, that gives a match a lot of urgency. Um, I like that. Uh, There's one point where Jay does the be quiet thing where he shushes the crowd to hit a loud chop outside. And the crowd is way more into this than they've been on anything else on the show. And I think it's just because it's it's fast-paced for once. These matches have been so slow, and I'm just... I was just—I think it was just very refreshing for me to see a match where they were just moving. One point, Jay goes for his military press, Death Valley Driver, but Sidal does an awesome counter, turning it into a DDT, which I liked a lot. Um, the Sidal almost does like an AJ Styles-esque moonsault into an inverted DDT position, but instead he does that—he um, does that thing where he dro- drops his leg over Jay's chest to take him down. Um, there's another spot. Uh, Jay charges, but Seidel backdrops him to the floor. I mean, Seidel me, backdrops Jay to the floor, and then Seidel hits his really cool top rope to the floor moonsault, gets an ROH chant. Um, at this point, um, Jay whips Seidel into the guardrail, and Jay says, count his ass out, which is obviously not a thing they do in Ring of Honor in this era. There are no countouts. Um, so... Uh, I guess at that point, because the ref wasn't counting, the crowd counted for him, and Jay raised his hand, but of course it doesn't count. Um, and then you know they continue to do they do some back in the ring. Sidal hits a springboard leapfrog, but Jay hits him hits the military press D, uh, death valley driver. This time gets a two count. Um, Sidal gets his knees up on a big splash, then Jay gets his boots up on the standing moonsault. But then Seidel almost immediately blocks a J-Driller and hits the Standing Moonsault, and you actually get a, this is awesome chant, and Seidel responds to that by saying, this is over. But uh, it wasn't, because uh, J-blocked the Leaping Rana by grabbing the top rope and hit a Gourd Buster from the top rope, and... Then Jay goes for a clothesline, but Seidel kind of hangs on to his arm, rolls through, and gets a flash pin cradle, which I thought was a cool finish. I think that it could have been elevated to a great match if they had done a few more minutes of like near falls and built to it more. But I think sometimes the flash pin is pretty effective too. So yeah, I, I, I feel like I'm going to be the high vote on this match. I, I think that they did a great job. I think that they uh, woke me up, and I think they woke the crowd up too.
0: I think you are the high ball on this match, but simultaneously, I agree this was the best match on the show so far. I would drank it as like good like like it's a three and a quarter star match I would say to and to me that's the best match uh, i, I on would show go so
1: far. I would go three and three quarters.
0: Yeah. So we disagree a half a star. So that's not crazy, but yeah, you, you are higher on me, but I would, I would agree at the sense of, I think this is the best thing we've seen on the show so far. And it's another one of those matches where on a better show, you're really happy with a match of this quality, but late on a show that's really unperform underperforming that you really would like to see a home run to help save it. I would call this like just an, a nice double. And it is what you would expect from a lot of this era of Briscoe's matches where it's a lot, a lot of hard work, a lot of action, no story or psychology, a lot of your move, my move, back and forth, quick swing, swings of momentum. I, I've said in the past that the matches that age the quickest to me are like – and the, probably the worst are spot fest because the bars for innovation and pace, they're always just going up. They're getting raised constantly. And in some ways, I still believe that's true, but watching this match, I kind of realized it's matches like the this one that ages the quickest in the sense of – this is a match where it's like two guys in their era just ripping off their usual stuff not doing anything too novel not a scramble breakneck neck pace but like at a really good clip and it's not like it's aged a ton in 18 years but i will say this is a match that got like a brief moderate this is awesome chant near the end and today i would say this is like a level of action and effort you'd expect to see like pretty much weekly on u.s television now like In part, that's because I feel like guys like Jay and Matt uh, and their generation have filtered into wrestling over the last 20 years and kind of raised the bar for how much action we expect in like your standard match and the pace and all that. But it makes a match like this feel not quite as good to me on rewatch. Like It probably also helped that I watched this the day after I watched Collision a week before two collisions ago and this for those listening at a different time period this was the collision that had like eddie kingston versus brian keith and brian Danielson versus hechicero and on this match on that collision would have been at best the fourth best match on that two-hour tv show and i say that someone who thinks like the best ring of honor matches in this era not only hold up but often have things that like i wish modern wrestling had more of like I wish more matches in today's wrestling had the attention to detail of Joe versus Punk's trilogy or like the grit and hatred of Karina versus Homicide from better, better friends, different enemies. But matches like this, like that are not about intangibles, they're just about like two guys doing stuff. I feel like the bar has been raised. Um, Another thing I think that was interesting about this match is you could tell each guy had different fan bases based on like the vocal timber of the people cheering for them. Like Jays fans definitely had some more bass in their voice, you know, Matt Seidel more for the ladies and the sensitive boys. And uh, I appreciate that. Um, and yeah, there was just, this is a match, good action. And some things stood out. Like you mentioned the great, uh, military press countered into a DDT. You mentioned the funny, um, the, the 20 count where Matt Seidel seems to forget, or Jay Briscoe forgets that ring of honor, regular matches don't have count outs. And one thing you missed, uh, you didn't mention was Matt Seidel or maybe you did on um, Matt Seidel said, I have 20. And I thought it would be funny. If that became his new, um, Brian Danielson. I have till five, like he waits till like 18. He goes, I have till 20 referee. Um, and then uh, you also mentioned – and this is sad. This is a telling indictment of the show. My favorite moment of this show might have been during when Matt Seidel did, as you said, the bravest thing he could have possibly done, which is take a sip of someone's drink at ringside. Uh, but there's a great moment where he goes – he he drinks it and then he w- takes a step away and then he thinks for a second and he turns back to the fan and he goes, what was that, root beer? Like, <laughs> like He could not tell the flavor. So I, I hope he was not drugged. I hope that that did not spike something. <laughs> um, uh, that that mean, might be like, my favorite I will, moment s- of the I,
1: I will say this: it's twenty twenty four. Seems like Matt Seidel survived whatever was it was in that cup. So yeah,
0: I, I believe Matt Seidel was a big into ayahuasca and things like that. So he might not even enjoy going taken on a trip. Huh?
1: Could you imagine if there was like he was just like a random cup of ayahuasca that was just like <laughs> more of. Is it is that even a drink? I don't even know what it is. I mean I know yeah, what it is I know I know what it is, but I don't know what form it comes in.
0: Yeah, it, it's something you drink and it's something that Neil Brennan won't stop talking about on podcasts. Uh that's why I know the ayahuasca. <laughs> but um uh, <laughs> uh, Uh, one other thing, did you notice this, Matt, that Jared David on commentary during this match, like, Jay Briscoe's wearing all-black trunks, and Jared David says uh, Jay Briscoe's trunks are a little more politically correct than we're used to seeing. Yes, yes,
1: yes. So they they even know that all the Confederate flags are inappropriate, yet they indulged them, and the Briscoe's kept wearing them, even as baby faces. So uh, I don't know. But yes, good to know that in 2006 they realized that it's – I would say, to put it politely – Gosh, to wear a Confederate flag.
0: Yeah. Um, so right after the end of the match, Mark Briscoe runs in to put the boots to Matt Seidel. Davey Richards runs in to start brawling with Mark, and their scheduled match is on as Jay and Sydal brawl to the back, and so that gets on. Uh, what turns out to be our semi-main event on an A market show. Davy Richards defeats Mark Briscoe via submission in 14 minutes 46 seconds. When he made him tap out to a, a new submission, they're calling the 14:59. So why they couldn't have just timed this match out a bit better, so it literally <laughs> ended 13 seconds later at 14:59? I don't know because th- the finish is supposed to be oh, your 15 minutes is up. What, You know that's. But it, basically, if you haven't seen, it's like a key lock where he has his legs wrapped around the opponent's head while he puts on the key lock. Um. So take every criticism I had of the last match, which I I still liked, and then times it by 250% and make – that turns this into a match I did not like. Uh, the last match was at least a little dynamic in the sense of, you know, Jay Briscoe and Matt Seidel, they – they after they post to the fans, they had like a kind of a hot start to the match and a hot finish. They went to the outside a couple of times. It kind of – all that breaks up a match and, you know, gives it a little bit of ebb and flow. This match didn't even have any of that. It, it's just stuff in the middle of the ring. All the way through. It's also, I found like kind of rougher than the last match was. There was just a few spots that kind of whiffed or didn't look a hundred percent great. And a match that's nothing but moves that matters to me a little bit more. Like I'm not always a stickler for execution, but like in a match where if the match is just lives or dies on the moves, I am going to be a bit more nitpicky about that. But really, the story to me of this match was just how fucking quiet the crowd was. Like, we've heard quiet crowds recently, man. We haven't heard a crowd this big, which according to Dave Meltzer was almost a 1,000 people. I saw other reports say around 850, whatever. Either way, this was, we haven't heard a crowd this big in Ray of be this quiet. There are significant portions of this match where they're working to absolute silence. Which is
1: interesting because they followed a pretty hot match. Like, the crowd was pretty good for the previous match, and it's weird how much they just, like, died for this one.
0: And you can't you you like I, when I say silent like t- just to illustrate it, there are times where you can't even hear one individual fan like just talking to somebody else. It's a it's a fucking mausoleum at points in this match. Like they will make noise for a big spot or a loud to Divi- kick, but otherwise they are dead for this. And I guess why wouldn't they be right? Like Chicago is one of Ring of Honor's big markets at this time, and this is a kind of a one match show from a marquee standpoint where like Danielson, Joe, no DQ is. Is really the only really sexy match on this card from like a DVD selling standpoint. And you like think about your top three matches. Your third from the top match is Matt Seidel versus Jay Bristol, which, like you said, has like no real feud. Like they had wrestled a couple times in tags, so but there's no real feud, there's no real stakes to it. Your semi main event is Mark Briscoe and Davy Richards based on again, they had a couple tag matches against each other, and you know. Davey Richards by proxy is affiliated with Kenta, who they don't like, and I guess they had that video wire segment where they, they attacked Davey Richards. But there, there's not – it's kind of thin gruel to, to, to try and sell fans like this is a semi-main event. Although, and, I, will, although and,
1: I will say in Ring of Honor, like the theory is that the crowds are supposed to just be into exciting action and not – you don't have to marquee it up. I think in other eras, the crowd would not have been so quiet for this even if the match was the same. Yeah, I I would say, like,
0: I would give this match a mild above average, and maybe I would have liked it more if I hadn't just seen a better version of the match immediately before this match, but I was just incredibly numb watching this. Like, I kept losing focus where I kept having to rewind to watch – a 30 second sequence I had just watched because I it was like, when you get to the end of a reading a page in a book and realize you have to read it again, because you've absorbed none of it. I just, I kept zoning out during this match. There was one spot that really got me. And that was Mark Briscoe took a top rope German suplex bump where it looked like he rotated so much he led on like his shoulder and the side of his face. And otherwise this was just, Stiff kicks and some suplexes and stuff like that, the usual stuff done in an ice cold atmosphere on a weak card. And again, I just kept zoning out. And uh, yeah, d- this was a disappointment to me because, you know, I could get into David Richard stuff and I'm a big Mark Briscoe fan. And I just, for semi main event, I was pretty darn disappointed in
1: this. I, you know, because I guess I agree with you that it was worse than the previous match, but I guess because I liked the previous match more than you, I also liked. This match more than you, I, I still, you know, I don't think it was great. I think it was low good where I guess that's what you put as the previous match. I, I would give this, you know, maybe like a three yeah. in the three-star range. Like I still think there were a lot of good moves. Um, there was some sloppiness and it was slow at first. Um, I, like there was a cool spot where Davey went for his spring, bo- handspring like back kick thing, but Mark caught him on his shoulders and, you know, was going to go for the cutthroat driver. Um, You know, the only problem was that Mark sort of lost Davy and then picked him back up. So I, um, you know, in that sense, it wasn't perfect, but I appreciated what they went for. Um, Honestly, my favorite moment in the patch was very early on when Gabe comes back on commentary to talk about Mark's missing teeth again. And there's a really funny moment because Gabe's talking, then he stops himself to say, oh, wait, the action's looking up here. And then he goes... Nope, actually, we got a headlock, and then he keeps uh, he keeps talking about the Mark Briscoe thing. So he's he's he, he was going to interrupt himself before he realized they were just doing a headlock, and it's almost funny because it's like Gabe burying Matt wrestling. He's like, "Oh yeah, no, it's, a, it's a it's a headlock. I don't have to. We don't have to pay attention to that." Um, which is, I guess, not the business that you'd think he would be in as the booker of you know Ring of Honor. Um, other funny stuff would be at one point, um. Davy does a suplex that, um, that Jared David calls a waistlock suplex. And I'm like, isn't that just what a German suplex is? <laughs> like, is that like the, you do a waistlock and then you suplex them? Um, there's another spot where Mark Briscoe, he doesn't, he, 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 he teases that he's going to do a moonsault. And he comes up, he goes, old school moonsault, baby. But, um, The Richards runs up and tries to suplex him off. That's before he hits the waist lock suplex. Also, when um, when Mark Briscoe hit the what the announcers called the springboard ace crusher, I thought to myself, do we have to change the name of that move now?
0: Oh, God.
1: <laughs> like, I, I'm I, kind of serious. Like, do, do we still call it that?
0: Is that a thing? I guess we can just call it a cutter, I yeah, guess. Yeah, a
1: cutter. Yeah, I don't know. But they, but in all these DVDs, like, they do oftentimes call it an ace crusher. So I, I guess I got to censor myself when I say that. Um, I don't know. I guess sometimes I still say Crippler Crossface. So I don't know what the standard here is.
0: Um, Superfly Splash. You still, yeah. People still occasionally say. like, Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, I, I liked the finish. I thought it was a really good finish. Um, even though it didn't actually, the match didn't actually last 14 minutes and 59 seconds, but I, um, and I thought there were a lot of good moves, but yeah, sloppy, kind of slow, not a lot of form. So, and also no heat. In fact, the heat was so low that at some point you could hear Davey, like his verbal selling. So like, it just, it just (laughs) was so forefronted. Like, um, like when Mark was, uh. Was kicking him and hitting him, you would hear Davey like groaning and yelling, oh, fuck, and things like that (laughs) in a way that you normally wouldn't do in a match like this. So I thought that was funny, too
0: yeah yeah I, I i wrote in my notes i wrote davy Richards sells a samoan drop like he's having an attack of appendicitis just cradling his med and groaning and groaning and groaning and going oh damn it. <laughs> it, it, it like he was yeah it was very over the top and like you said it gets like amplified by the fact that it's complete silence so it, it's just like yeah you know it's weird it's, it's like one of those things where like it may sometimes moments like that remind you that like Wrestling is way more ridiculous and and dumb seeming if no one's reacting to it.
1: we had an entire like year of experiencing that, right? Uh, in, yeah, in, in the during during the pandemic era. I mean, especially WWE before they decided to start piping in crowd noise and doing the Thunderdome thing. Like it was like, boy, that was weird. Yeah, it, it's go, a back, go back and go back and watch WrestleMania thirty six.
0: You can't make me do that, Matt. You can't make me. But.
1: <laughs> no, I'm telling you. It's a command. <laughs> Go back and watch 36 You're going to do it. Damn it.
0: Yeah, it's it's akin to like – Occasionally when you'll see people like take like a bad sitcom from like the 80s or something and they'll edit out the laugh track and it becomes just like creepy yes. and kind of off-putting.
1: <laughs> well, like when they're like holding for applause and laughter and it's just like <laughs> – you're. Yeah, and it's just like, wait. what? That's really strange when there's no applause and laughter. Um, yeah. The other thing that I didn't mention – As the announcers were musing over Mark Briscoe's missing teeth, they talked about if Mark will eventually look like Julius Smokes, which I guess means like get gold teeth. And I can say safely 17 and a half years later, Mark Briscoe did not get gold teeth. No, he did not.
0: You know what? He still could could if he wants to. It's
1: It's not too late.
0: And I do also want to mention, I'm glad you point out, I did think it was adorable that for the second straight night, Gabe had to go out of his way to tell that fake Mark Briscoe losing his T-shirt. Like, I love the idea that he was like so pleased with that bit. He was like, I have to do this on both nights in case people only buy one DVD from this double shot. Like, people can't miss this, <laughs> this little bit I've got planned. I have to get it in. Um, and that next, we get an ad for FIP's second year spectacular night two.
1: <laughs> it's always, it's and, always funny how bad these ads are. It's, yeah. I never stop laughing at them.
0: As is the usual case, all we see is wrestlers' entrances and not a single second of a match. So yeah, you don't know who's wrestling who. You just kind of have an idea of who's on the card. Um, it's
1: just like they, these are a bunch of wrestlers at a poorly attended indie show. Yeah.
0: Um, and that brings us to our non-title, no disqualification, no time limit, anything goes match. That's how CageMatch described it. I would argue that's a little too many descriptors. Uh, you don't need to need, say no disqualification and anything goes cage match. But anyway, um, Samoa Joe defeated Brian Danielson in 21 minutes, 36 seconds, when he made Danielson pass out to a, a Todd Sinclair's belt-assisted rear naked choke um so yeah for the story for people wondering why this is non-title we've talked about recently the storyline they were doing at this point with brian danielson being injured to give him like a little bit of an out was the idea is he's saying now in my contract only says i have to defend the title once a month and i've already defended the title this month so you know this match with joe it's going to be non-title and so it's a way to it's a way to stretch out the joe danielson feud but um Matt, this is the main event, you know, d- arguably the two greatest wrestlers in uh, Ring of Honor history having a stint match and not – won't be their last one. What do you think about this main event? Did it save the show?
1: Yeah, well, um, so Joe and Danielson, yes, they are the two greatest wrestlers in Ring of Honor history, although I wouldn't say 2006 Joe is because he's not being his full Joe. You know what I mean? Like it's, this isn't mm-hmm. like the full Samoa Joe. Um, so my memory of this match was, I just didn't have, like, it just didn't register for me. So in that sense, I actually did like this better than I remembered. I, you know, I thought that it, it, it had a good pace. I thought it was exciting. Obviously these guys are great. And so it's very hard for them to not have a good match and there was energy. It wasn't slow. The crowd reacted, uh, there was some fun you know stiff spots by Joe, you know he used the belt at the end. I liked the part where he chased Danielson all around um the uh the uh the crowd area when they when he went into the crowd. I thought it never it never slowed down you know Danielson worked on joe's arm i i i liked that i liked some of the stuff going on in the uh, in the crowd i like that when danielson at the beginning started working on joe's arm he yelled to the crowd this is how i street fight but then later on he actually started being like cheating and doing street fight stuff so he was lying about how that's how he street fights um i thought joe did a good job with a lot of his excuse me i sneezed with a lot of his offense um i yeah, i like that he did the Swinging power bomb thing that he did to CM Punk in their matches into the guardrail, although he didn't get to it in quite a quite as organic a way because he actually like put Brian on the apron and swung him into the guardrail from there. Um, but um, it didn't really feel dramatic, I guess. Even though you know, I you know, in some ways you could say, well, the thing that adds drama is that you don't know who's going to win and. The champion losing is kind of a surprise finish in that sense, but it didn't feel dramatic because it didn't feel like it had stakes because it was a non-title. And it's weird because you'd think that Danielson and Joe, because they are the two best, their feud for the title would seem pretty important and epic. But instead, it just kind of feels like a kind of a sideshow to building up the main Thing which is obviously Danielson dropping the title to Homicide, so it almost feels like it's, I don't know, an exhibition, which is weird to say, obviously, in pro wrestling because it's all exhibition. But I don't know, there's just something missing about the vibe and the intensity that I think even really great work wouldn't have overcome to make this a spectacular match. And obviously, it wasn't a spectacular match, it was a very good match. It was it was a lot of fun. The other thing I would say is it didn't, like, even though these characters hate each other, Danielson has taken out Joe's leg, you know, Joe really wants revenge. I don't think the hate really came through here. I think this, you know, when you have a big brawl like this, there's a couple kinds. There's the kind where it's like, we're going to kind of just have a fun brawling style match where you watch and just have a fun time watching it. And then there's the intense hate-filled brawl where you just really feel the emotion of it. This was definitely the former. This was definitely like the fun, light entertaining brawly type match where you just did not feel any real passion or intensity. And I don't know what they could have done to change that. I feel like maybe nothing. I just because of the way the match was situated and the way the feud is set up in between more important stuff And the fact that Joe just feels half a step emotionally removed from this ROH stuff at this point, I think that that just might not have been a solvable problem here. So they might have actually done the best they could have done here, and that was still very good. I just don't think it was quite great.
0: So another match I liked a little bit less than you. I I, I would call this the best match on the show while being disappointed. I would call this – like a strong good, like a three and a half star match, which, as I talked about on a recent episode, I think that seems to be like my floor for Brian Danielson. Two thousand six Ring of Honor is three and a half, kind of his basement.
1: It's also um, I would say pretty close to how I felt, you know, not like yeah, so far I, off.
0: Maybe my ratings, again, are out of whack with how I think, because actually, no, I enjoyed this match. I guess, you know what, I'm just kind of disappointed. Even though I knew going in, it probably wasn't going to be amazing because I didn't really remember this match. I thought if it's amazing, I'm going to remember it. But it was still, it's like, it's hard for me not to get disappointed by like a Bryan Danielson-Samoa Joe match that doesn't at least hit. Like, that isn't great. That isn't at least like four stars or above. Um, My issue with this match, I would say is, it used the No DQ stip, but didn't really use it in an exciting way. Like it felt like they did enough to justify the stip, rather than to take advantage of it. Like there, are, there are stip- Like I think you hit the nail on the head when you talk about like you didn't feel the hate in this match. Where I think a good gimmick match, it's like a hate-filled feud, and the gimmick is almost like we're using this because we hate each other so much. I want to relish, I'm, I, you know, using a hold on you isn't enough. I need to use like this, this cage. I need to use this weapon to really hurt you. This was one of those matches where the first half of this match was just a regular wrestling match. It could have been, it, it, it could have been the uh first half of the match they had at survival of the fittest where just a technical wrestling match. And then the second half goes, spills to the outside and goes all the way to the back. And then they start using all the plunder, but all the plunder they use. Yeah. I didn't feel the hate. It just felt like we're using this stuff because, it's a no DQ. Anything goes match. And we have to use some of the stuff to justify the stipulation. Or else fans are going to say, well, what's the point of having the stipulation? Um, there was one spot I really liked. Or should I say like there, – there was a camera shot I really liked, which is – Joe is chasing Danielson to the back of the building and the camera is so close to Joe that basically all you see is his back and then all of a sudden, Danielson pops up from behind the hard camera scaffolding where he was hiding and he hits Joe with a chair and Joe is so close to the camera that one, like it feels like a complete surprise and two, it almost feels like Danielson is hitting you, the viewer, at home with the chair It's like a great little accidental piece of, of, of fantastic camera work. Um, is Lust for extreme close ups of Samoa Joe finally pays off for once. <laughs> um, But afterwards, I thought we got a, like a bunch of men. Like, Joe puts Danielson on an ROH wheelie luggage case. He wheels him into a garbage in a can that in, in, can in in a spot that i i just wrote my notes it simultaneously gets a holy shit and is likely the safest move of the entire night like you know which is good good if you can do fine stuff like that um you know they hit each other with other stuff like a pallet of water a fan like not a human fan but a mechanical fan a broom that joe breaks over danielson's back which i guess makes him the original cleaner um And they go to the ring and all of a sudden Brian has a billy club, and I have no idea where he got because it's weird because like when they're probably in the back, like all the other plunder I just listed come up organically. Like, oh, there's a broom line against the wall in the back to clean things up. Oh, there's a pallet of water for the thirsty wrestlers. There's a fan to cool things off. And then all of a sudden, like, as they get back to the ring, it's like, where did Brian get, like, a police baton? Yeah,
1: at, well, at first, I thought maybe it was, like, a tool that they used for, like, the ring. Like, one of those things that they used to, like, tighten the turnbuckles, you know, like, you know, when they when they turn them with, like, a rod. I thought maybe that's what it was, but they said it was a billy club, so I guess that's yeah, what it yeah. was.
0: So, um... And then of course he grabs the, he literally, t- Brian takes the belt from Todd Sinclair and, uh, the weird, the other thing with the, weird with the police, the Billy club or whatever is Todd Sinclair eventually stops Brian from using it. And uh, it's against one of those weird thoughts, spots where it's like, it's an anything goes no DQ match. Like, wh- why are you trying to p- literally pull this out of his hand? Like, it, it, it's, it's anything is allowed, but. We do go to the stretch run. I thought there was a nice callback to that fantastic spot they had late in their hour-long draw where Danielson did the O'Connor roll and Joe popped them into the rear naked choke. Except This time he's also using the belt that Brian pulled off of Todd Sinclair earlier in the match. And that's the finish where like, they tease Brian's arm falling twice, and then Brian – on a night where, like, part, part, partially because of how quiet the crowd was for most of the night, it was filled with as many obvious spot calls as I've ever heard on a Ring of Honor show. You can tell Brian between the second arm drop and like the third, where he lifts his arm up at the last second, he's telling Joe something, and, and and which is kind of a bad thing because you're supposed to be wondering at that moment if he's still out cold. But anyway, he must have been telling him, like, calling the finish on the fly. because He must have said, let's get up and tease it again because after that, he raises his arm. He gets back up, but Joe still has, like, the choke on him, and then Joe just drags him back into the choke. They do the three arm drags uh, – uh, arm drops again, and this time it drops three times, and it, oh, it ends. So the only thing he could have told Joe is, like, let's do one more tease of this. Because that's all they do for the rest of the match after he talks to him. So, yeah, it um, was
1: just to really piss-off future Dave Meltzer by doing the three-arm drop thing more than once.
0: <laughs> so I would describe this match as this was a bunch of Brian and Joe work of a similar quality to their 20-minute draw from Survival of the Fittest. which
1: I think the crowd was a bit hotter here than they were for that one, which probably helped.
0: Yeah. yeah, and it helped that they got to use plunder. And then the second half of this match is broken up by a bunch of pl- plunder spots that felt – almost WWE ish at their worst and how like perfunctory they were. It didn't like you said, I didn't think it had the hate or the grit you'd want from a big feud gimmick match, but the wrestling was still good when they just did pure wrestling. They did enough stuff to justify the step. Again, I'm saying it's three and a half star match. I'm saying it's a good match. it's just, for these guys, it's on the very low end of what I think these guys are capable of. Uh, Gabe Sapolsky sold it bigger, though, because he told the PW Torch after the show regarding the Joe versus Danielson made event. Gabe Sapolsky told the Torch, quote, it was a wild brawl around the building. and I think it'll be incredible on the DVD. It was an old school fight. And I mean, look, he has to sell the DVDs. He has to say stuff like that. Um uh yeah i 'm just looking at my notes. is there anything else? oh okay, I did okay you know what this is again this is uh, the, the small things on the show were my favorite things because did you catch this match during this match at one point praise because he 's talking about how they had a sixty minute draw and a twenty minute draw you know this match has no timeline so praise at one point during this match suggests that without a timeline this match could go on for two hours, and then Jared Davis seriously says this he goes there are two schools of thought about Joe and Danielson having no timeline the first is the match could go on for for an eternity. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> do you like, no, no, I don't think he said an eternity. I think he actually said for eternity. Like he was like like some people think this match could literally go on forever. It's <laughs> like, okay, that's that's one school, I guess. Uh, I've never seen that school, but um so after the match uh, Joe grabs the mic. He welcomes Chicago, Illinois back to Ring of Honor. He says, these people seem to hate your guts, Danielson. And then Joe tells an unconscious Brian, by the way, he's still Brian, still signing these out cold that if he has any balls at all, Mr. Small Package, he'll meet Joe back here in Chicago for the ROH championship. And Brian Danielson, just to make sure we stay nice and cozy, we'll be doing it in a steel cage. And the po- crowd pops huge for that. They love the idea of, a uh, you know, steel cage match in Chicago. Joe says he will be Ring of Honor world champion again. Brian continues to sell being out cold throughout Joe's entire promo and celebration, long past even when Joe leaves through the curtain and out of the you know out of the ring area, and then Danielson all of a sudden sells snapping awake out of nowhere, almost attacking Todd Sinclair out of confusion, not even knowing what happened. He looks around, and he literally says like, "No, where's Joe?" And the crowd starts to chant, "You tapped out." And I thought that was actually a nice way to sell it, where he, like Brian's like acting like the like he's discovering he just lost this match.
1: Although you tapped, like, although you tapped out, the crowd's just lying about that.
0: Yeah, he, he his I guess his arm tapped the mat as it fell. But yeah, you're you're exactly right, Matt. This crowd, the the biggest enemies of the
1: show, clearly this crowd. Yeah, um, well, you know, you know, one thing that I think is interesting is, you know, obviously Danielson in two thousand six was amazing. You know, I mean, the best in the world probably. It's funny, though, because like if you really look at some of these matches, he really wasn't a great brawler and he eventually did become one. Like now he's like one of the best wrestlers. He's one of the best brawlers. His brawls didn't really land at this point yet.
0: Definitely. That's a that's a great point. Like I feel like. He's gotten where he's gotten really good at adapting who he is to like almost every setting where like, I know even like in early Brian Daniels interviews, like he would talk about like, even though he was famous in that first three-way match that started like the whole ring of honor business, you know, the, in the main event of the first show, like he, I, I've heard in the interviews early on talking about how he didn't like like multi-mans and tag matches stuff because he had to like, in you know, you, you have more voices you have to kind of incorporate into the ideas. And it seemed like, yeah, like it it, it seemed like Danielson was always really good but he was clearly at his most comfort when it was a straight one-on-one wrestling match where I feel like, yeah, today you see a Danielson that's had a full career and it's just like he's going to be great in any situation. Yeah. Like we, a, a plunder yeah. match, a multi-man match,
1: a tag match. Like he will be Brian Danielson in that match. For sure. It's, Danielson is a guy who does not get enough credit for kind of being a chameleon. Like people know he's good at everything, but like the reinventions, like in the different – eras that he's had I think like you know people talk about like Jericho who's always able to kind of reinvent himself and stay over in certain ways if you really look at Danielson's career which hopefully we'll get a chance to do when he um when he gets to the point where he uh I guess retires from full-time wrestling um he really does that too and I don't think people give him enough credit for that
0: definitely like yeah he even just like his look and just his willingness We've talked about this before. His willingness to – whether it's something like the airplane spin or the yes thing, which granted you know, the yes thing was a little bit WWE saying we'd prefer he not do that. But like he's a guy – he has a bunch of examples of that throughout his career of he discovers hugely over things that most wrestlers would make that part of their act for the rest of their career. And he's just like, yeah, I'm bored with it. I'll figure something out. I'll, I'll cut with something else that, that will get a big reaction. Yep. Like. That's not a mindset most wrestlers – most wrestlers are like, "If I find something that works, I'm doing that every night for the rest of my goddamn career <laughs> and he's one of the rest, rare wrestlers who he's like, "Yeah, I'm bored with it, I don't care if it gets popped I'll do something else you know and that's really that's like an artistic mindset to wrestling that that I think very few wrestlers have sure. but um Yeah, so anyway, the last image of this segment we see is Brian grabs Todd Sinclair's belt that had been used in the match, and he just goes, you son of a bitch, you son of a bitch, and he chases Todd Sinclair to the back, which for like – the this is like the big feud, main event world title feud between two of rain bars, top stars. That's like filling the time before the homicide thing at the end of the year. Like for some reason, like the, the last thing we see in the ring on this night being the almost comical image of Brian Danielson chasing poor Todd Sinclair, who has had a hell of a night, by the way, to the back with his own belt, like screaming at him. It's like kind of a strangely comedic note to end the night on, but um, it does not end the DVD though, because Next, we are in an empty building after the show, and Jimmy Rave is sitting in the bleachers in deep contemplation. Gabe from behind the camera asks him to do a promo. Rave, Rave tells him, get the camera out of my face. You know, he's in no mood. Sal Renaro strolls over, and he asks Jimmy, like, are you ready to go, man? And Jimmy says, the more I think about it, I'm I'm better off alone. And he just walks away, leaving Sal um, confused and perplexed. And I think that is the end of Sal in this era of Honor. I think that's his write-off, is asking Jimmy, like, do you want to go – drive away and th- because i don't think we see him he, sal does come back for a bit in 08 and he does again in 09 but i think he's out for the rest of this year in 07 this is basically like his write out for ring of honor is kind of a poor sal never got uh, yeah sad a end, sad, sad
1: ending for for sal the character at least
0: <laughs> yeah i mean it, it furthers jimmy's story arc where you know recently he threw he you know he lost nana then on a recent show he threw away the uh the uh, embassy robe and the garbage. And now he's telling Sal the buzz off. So basically, you know, they're continuing the storyline of, he's kind of shedding show by show, every part of the embassy gimmick, but it's sad to see Sal basically thrown away like a robe in a garbage can. Yeah. <laughs> that's what, basically what the segment is. But, um, by we get a shot of Conan backstage somewhere, obviously not the show. It's in, it's,
1: it's in Philly because that's the only show that he went to. Yeah.
0: So. <laughs> With a bandana and Oakland A's cap, hiding everything but his eyes, and a scrolling on-screen graphic just tells us the revolution is coming. And that is how we – one well, wanted a great end to the show. So Matt, before we get into our thoughts, it is time. It might be hard for you. Who wins the Matt F. Trophy for tonight's show?
1: Oh, boy, was it slim pickings on this show. Um, and – When I reveal the winner, you will see that because... I have chosen Todd Sinclair as the winner of the MADF Trophy for Irresistible Forces. Between yelling at Carino to get his finger out of Delirious's butt, for trying to explain himself to Jim Cornette, for then apologizing to Delirious and being like he was gonna fire me. I'm so sorry, and then getting his belt taken and used as at the as part of the finish of the world title match, to finally running for his life from Brian Danielson at the end he had, a, he had a night, like you said, and he worked really hard, and I think he has earned the MADEF trophy.
0: Especially because I, I didn't put this in the notes, but reading live reports, uh, apparently between the cornet match and like other matches he refed, the crowd when he came back to the ring started chanting sellout at him for reversing the decision. So yeah, just adding poor to guy. poor Todd Sinclair's night.
1: Yeah, he, um, he, deserves, I, I- he deserves that trophy.
0: I I never get out trophies, but I will say if I was in your position, my trophy would be to the fan that ordered the root beer that Matt Seidel (laughs) drove because the the, the drink of that was my favorite moment. So thank you for making that possible with that key placement of a refreshment. Um, But, yeah, that was Irresistible Forces, and I'm going to say – I'm going to say something that you were very right because at the, I believe at the end of the last show, I thought looking at the card for errors, I said something to the effect of like looking at this card, it's going to have to be better than Suffocation. And you were like, eh? And that's kind of how we ended the show. I think I dislike this show more than Suffocation. And that might just be expectations. Yeah, it was more, it was more frustrating
1: the- at the very least. Yeah.
0: Because this was the A market show, right? So yeah, yeah. B market show, you want that to be good too, but you can at least say B market shows have more of a history of kind of being mess shows sometimes. But this is the A market show. You're, you're like hoping it's going to be guns a blazing and just, I, I like the cold angle more than you. There's a couple of matches I thought were pretty good, were good but not great. Like again, I I think the top two matches on the show are three and a quarter and three and a half. And I know you're probably like saying three and a half and three and three quarters, but still, this is a, yet another recent Ray of Honor show where I feel like you miss nothing if you skip it. it it's uh, which is sad, which is sad. You know, we are truly in the dry winter of through the years, and uh I have a feeling you'll be similar. But what do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe I was higher on the best matches than you were, but. The vibes are bad like it's just like oh, get get through this like let's get to final battle let's wake up this this promotion again um, I will say that um, I don't remember enough but I know that the next show that we review which you will talk about in a second definitely was the best received show between this like I don't know late September October November era of ROH like that like I remember that having the best reputation, I hope it, it's actually good because boy, we could use a darn good show at this point. It's been, it's been too long. So yeah. Um, first off, before I get to that, but
0: you, you are very, very correct, sir, because first off though, we'll get the plugs through the years at gmail.com. We uh T H R O H for through. Of course, we had a couple of lovely emails in the last few weeks. I think of people that were really nice and a couple of really nice YouTube comments. Of course, we always appreciate it. Um, we, Um, and of course, if you just have any thoughts you want to give, you know, Hey, there's the email, um, at Trevor Dame on Twitter at mayor MGF on Twitter. And next time we we will be covering a show, Matt honor, reclaims Boston ring of ours returned to Boston after being gone for quite a long time. And I will say again, your hunch seems, well, I'm going to hope your hunch is right because, um, looking at cage, I will say this. It has the highest cage match score of any ring of honor show from like a few shows ago all the way to, to until we get to final battle. So if the people in cage match do not do us wrong, this might be the oasis in the dry winter that we need. This might yeah. be the best show. I know it has a tag match that I think Sean Radkin of the torch said was like his match of the year for ring of Honor, which Grant is probably him inflating it because I think he was there live. But like, folks, I don't want to get your hopes up, but we may get a one show reprie from this from this funk. Um, let's hope so. Let's hope honor truly does reclaim Boston. But until
1: then, until next time, have a good time. Have a great time.